Welcome to episode eight of the Shark Bites podcast, a Throwdown Thursday production. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd, and I am going to be your host this week. And this week, my topic is: Are the prequels for Star Wars really that bad? But you don't have to just take my word for it, because I am joined by, as once again, by several guests. I am joined by Misty of the Scream Sisters. Say hi. Hi. I am joined by Shelby of Amalgamania. Hey, everyone. And Chris of Wild Hunt Press. Yo! So, folks, uh, thank you for joining me. I know this is one of the shows that a couple of you expressed a lot of interest in doing, and um, for various reasons. Now, Shelby, I know you are a a huge fan of the visual effects, and this, uh, as uh, Lucas himself has done in the past, this really was a a heavily influenced and heavily focused show. series on uh with with the the special effects wow i worded that really well um (laughs) we will get into a lot of this because there are a number of different things that uh, people do enjoy about this trilogy and some things that people just absolutely hate and uh, i think the effects are definitely one of those uh, very divisive topics but uh, we're obviously going to start off with the phantom menace episode one because that is you know the uh, where everything started, so to speak, if you uh, believe in retroactive continuity. But uh, before we get into it, I am going to play the trailer. So let's get into the trailer. I will not condone a course of action that will lead us to war. A communications disruption can mean only one thing, invasion. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. Begin landing your troops. We haven't much time. The Federation has gone too far. Catastrophic. Our people are dying, Senator. We must do something quickly. You must contact me. There is something else behind all this, Your Highness. They will kill you if you stay. And I can only protect you. I can't fight a war for you. I think we're going to have to accept Federation control for the time being. This is a battle I do not think that we can win. I will sign no treaty, Senator. You said people gonna die? Once those droids take control of the surface, they will take control of you. I was not elected to watch my people suffer and die while you discuss this invasion in a committee. Get to your ships! They will never get me onto one of those dreadful starships. Always two there are. A master and an apprentice. (laughs) 
them out. All of them. Okay, so we've all seen the trailer. We've all seen the movie. Uh, Shelby, I'm going to start with you because you are the youngest. Um, When you first saw this, what was your relationship to Star Wars? So when I first saw the Star Wars movies, my dad had introduced me to them. uh, And later I actually found out he's more of a Trekkie than a Star Wars fan, and my heart was completely crushed. (laughs) But... When I first saw this movie in particular, because I actually saw the prequels before I saw the originals. So for me, I didn't have that relationship with the originals yet. So when I saw the prequels first, it, it was kind of confusing for me because I was like, wait, why does everything look so much older and look a lot different in the originals when I first saw them? But then going back and pretty much rewatching everything, like the originals first and then the prequels, it kind of made more sense to me than watching them episode one all the way through. Misty, how about you? When you, because uh, obviously you and Chris each had a uh, an existing, a pre-existing relationship with Star Wars. So when you learned of the prequels and you saw this trailer, what was your initial reaction? Well, initially it looked great from just from the commercial. Um, when I saw Jar Jar, I got a little concerned. But, you know, after seeing the movie, I don't know if we want to get that far. But should we get that far or no? Uh, just, you know, your initial, when you, you know, based on your relationship with Star Wars and seeing the trailer and, you know, what you thought going into it. Well, when I seen the trailer, I was really excited about it because I, we haven't seen a Star Wars movie in a really long time. And... At the time, my dad was still alive, so I was like, okay, cool, you know, I can go see it with him, and, you know, we can go back to things we did when I was a kid. So I was really excited to see it. And uh, Chris, how about you? What was uh, your initial reaction when you you saw this, when you learned that there was a new trilogy coming out, giving you the origin of Darth Vader? Well, I was rather excited, as I am not not, um, one of those fans that believe that the original, so to speak, are sacrosanct in a way that you should never build on what you saw. You see similar sentiments with the Watchmen, et cetera, et cetera, Star Trek. But, I, you know, even though I knew how the story ended, or should I say the story arc for Anakin Skywalker, I still wanted to see it played out. And so I, I was excited about the idea. For me, I was, uh, I was very excited. I was uh, 18 when it came out, and a friend of mine had actually waited in line uh, all day to get tickets he had skipped school and this is a kid who got a 1500 on the sats was on the waiting list for harvard had never missed a day of school but skipped school we were a little it was uh, my friend mike and my friend adam it was the three of us and we we went to uh, the premiere the midnight premiere on may uh, may 19th and you know we were all seniors in high school we were about two weeks from graduating and uh, one of the things I remember distinctly was I I hadn't been crushed by the weight of the world and hadn't become uh, incredibly cynical at that point. So I was still like, I was like, oh, we just got all the re-releases of the uh, the originals with new footage and updated uh, special effects. And, oh, this is great. Oh, I can't wait to see what they do. And I want to see how, uh, how Darth Vader as a kid, like, oh, this is going to be great. And to show you how times have changed... We were a little uh, concerned because we were like, oh, well, we had just gone out and we had went to KB 
KB Toys and bought some plastic lightsabers, and we were having lightsaber battles during the day. <laughs> and then we're like, oh, we should bring these to the movie. And then we're like, no, we might seem like super nerds at, you know, you know nowadays, like, they dis- they actively discourage people, but, you know, you'll see 57 people dressed up. And uh, when we went to the last Jedi premiere, there was, you know, the whole 501st un- uh, unit was there. Like, all the people dressed up in the Star Wars cosplay. My wife had a, a porg blanket. So uh, it was... It, it times, they are uh, becoming quite different from uh, then to now. So at the time... Like you guys, I was very excited. I was I was interested in seeing what was going to happen. I wanted to know who the red and black guy with the red lightsaber was because oh, yeah. he looked amazing. So getting into the film now, and this is something that I noticed the other day, and I was thinking about it, and the more I think about it, the more it's starting to bother me. Uh, the Imperial March playing, and everyone's like, well, that's Darth Vader's theme. It's like, no, that's the Imperial March. That's the theme of the Empire. But it has no place in the first three movies. She want to say the very end of the third one because there was no empire until the end. So why was there an imperial march? Uh, I guess it's a, a play on nostalgia. But one of the things I, that I think uh, for this film, it has maybe the best music of the entire, call it a nonology. Yes. Know? Like I said, getting into the film, talking about Darth Maul, one of the, the biggest things... How did you feel, and uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you. How did you feel when Duel of the Fate playing and Darth Maul ignited the second end of his lightsaber? Well, I will come right out and admit, Patrick, that as much as I, I love the soundtrack, um, I, I honestly, the only it's so rare that I really pay attention to the music rather than the action or the plot, but I love that, that booming sound that you heard when the three-way battle was going on with um, Qui-Gon and, uh, and Obi-Wan going up against um, Darth Maul. I love that sound, and I didn't even place it with the, with the Empire music. Maybe it's because it's been so long that I saw episodes four to six. Entirely fair. But yeah, that, that was, for me, that was insane. Uh, Misty, how about you? What did you think when you first saw it? I was just blown away. I was like, who is this guy? I think he is my favorite character now. Shelby, how about you? I'm pretty much on the same boat as Misty. I was like, he looks incredibly powerful. He looked so cool, so different. And as soon as like the second end of the lightsaber came out, I was like, is that legal? Can he do that? <laughs> I was like, what is happening? Yeah, for me, seeing that, and you know, I think that Misty and Chris can kind of uh, commiserate with me a little bit on this. You're so used to, you know, slow, lumbering lightsaber battles with not a lot of finesse and agility involved, especially in, you know, the the, the first uh, movie. And even the second movie, like, Luke looked like he was a, a blind lumberjack uh, as, as uh, <laughs> Vader throws all the stuff around him with the Force. But to see not only, like, the speed and agility that... that uh, both Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan using it with the droid battles, but then the martial arts prowess of Ray Park doing all those flips and spins and, like, insane moves. I was like, this is what lightsaber battles should be. And I think mm-hmm. that's definitely something that Lucas got right about the entire prequel trilogy is that there are some amazing lightsaber battles. 
and you know we're going to get into some of them because there are a, a handful that specifically we have to talk about, and we will get into this uh, this Darth Maul battle a little bit more. But the thing that is also very divisive about the prequels, especially this first one, was the introduction of Jar Jar Binks. And now, Missy, you had mentioned something, uh, and there's a theory that has been going around for many, many years, where um, the theory is that Jar Jar Binks is a... Um, if anyone's ever seen the movie Drunken Master with uh, Jackie Chan or is familiar with Drunken Boxing, uh, yes. where you create this subterfuge of uh, being clumsy and just so uncoordinated, but it's all a, a way to kind of lull your opponent into this false sense of security. There are numerous um, theories and and lots of different you know youtube videos and articles about how jar jar was supposed to be the dark lord of the sith so misty touch a little bit on that and tell us uh why you wanted to talk about it i don't necessarily think he was dark lord of the sith actually but uh, i mean he definitely created an empire if but with by accepting palpine and um giving him the rights to undermine the council and everything well i think he was just in that in that, uh, like, that's a scene where I think you can look at both sides of the argument and say that, okay, you know, they were in league together. He was like this secondary, you know, like if, uh, you know, Sidious wasn't super excited about Maul's capabilities and so therefore always had like a nut, somebody else in mind, you know, like we see with his rea- uh, in- uh, interactions with Count Dooku, but like in the back of his mind, he really wants Anakin. I think we're seeing like that. There's an argument to be made for that. Chris, are you familiar with this theory at all? No, actually, I've never um, discussed or read about that theory. I Personally, I just saw Jar Jar Binks as what I saw as a poor attempt at comic relief for the first film on Lucas's part. Not because I'm, I'm overly sensitive with things like, uh, you know, like racial stereotypes and everything. Yes, Jar Jar, I did see him as something of a parody of maybe someone who's Jamaican, but... Um, the little guy that flies, who um, I always forget his name, Wato. Wato, Wato you know, who was who's the, was the slave owner. He his speech pattern was basically a, a parody of a, an old world Italian. <laughs> Italian. Yeah, yeah, and, and that didn't bug me. I just thought Jar Jar, you know, his humor wasn't funny. Uh, th- there's like the difference between funny and silly, and he was just silly, and we got too much of him. But you know, I understand in the era. You know, that was when people started getting more sensitive and you know, a lot of the liberals, you know, looked at his performance and basically said, how would uh, Shelby, what about you? Have you are you familiar with this theory at all? I'm actually pretty familiar with this theory. Um, I've watched quite a few videos about it. And some of the things that I didn't even notice until watching these videos and then rewatching the films is that you can see some areas where Jar Jar's actually like moving his mouth where some other people are talking. Mm-hmm. And some people think that's him doing like mind control or in some areas he's like moving his hands around and that's him using the force to like control people. And definitely like with how clumsy he is, I think it's it's kind of weird because he's almost like overly clumsy because you see regular clumsy and then he's like almost like methodically clumsy because a lot of the times when like say he crashed uh crashed into like Anakin and uh and then 
he had met with Obi-Wan, like, when that whole thing happened, it almost kind of seemed it was almost planned in a way. Mm -hmm. I know that's where a lot of people kind of get that. Like, it seems like some of the things he does had a purpose behind them, and it wasn't as chaotic as most people think. So uh, a couple of the things to kind of expand a little bit, because I'm I'm right with you. Like, some of the stuff that I've seen has highlighted that exact same stuff. Like, when he's uh, talking to Boss Nass, and he suddenly gets elevated up to general. Like, the whole time he's waving his hand back and forth, you know, and he's just like, oh, you know, and, and people are like, oh, see, he's controlling him. Or when they're underwater, and they're being chased by the giant fish, and he passes out. And you see his mouth moving as the bigger fish chomps down on the fish that's chasing them. It's almost like he's chewing, like he's in the fish's mind. You know, so there's a lot of little things like that. But I think the uh, the negative reaction to that character kind of forced Lucas to scrap those plans. But I could see one. I could see arguments on both sides. But like you said, you know, methodically clumsy. That's a great way to describe his actions. Like yeah. uh, the whole battle at the at the uh, end of the first film where he's like, oh, I accidentally dropped this uh, this grenade into a tank and the tank crashed and spun out and took out a whole bunch of other uh, other tanks. And, oh, I accidentally got the, you know, half a robot stuck to my leg. And every time I jump and move, it shoots one of my enemies that's coming towards me. I mean, some folks point to the first interaction we really have with him is this huge spinning, flipping leap into the water. We don't see any of the other Gungans do anything remotely close to that. Mm -hmm. And somehow this asshole becomes a senator? Like, how do you get that? You go from banished clumsy doofus to one of the highest uh, political positions within the span of a single film like he goes from banished to general to senator in record time so that gives a lot of credence to that theory mm. so, I guess I'm the beneficiary of of um what do you call it dumb luck <laughs> see there's dumb luck and then there's the will of the force and which i i definitely am going to touch on uh later in this in this uh, episode because there are there are things with the Force that not everybody totally understands, and I kind of want to touch on them a little bit more, so we're going to talk about that a little later. Um, I mean, some folks can call it lazy writing, but others call it the will of the Force. So with this first film, do you guys have a uh, a top moment and a bottom moment? Like, like, yes, this is awesome. This is what I've been waiting so long for. And there's other, like... They probably could have delayed this a little longer and, you know, worked on this a little bit. Uh, Shelby, I'll start with you because you had a different experience with this. So definitely the highlight of the first film for me was the pod racing, just because that scene in general was just visually stunning. And I know they put a lot of time into the visual effects of that scene. Like, I know they took actual archways from deserts and actually... Uh, 3D shop them into the scene. And just everything they did in that scene was just incredibly flawless. Like, it was hands down my favorite part of the film. And probably the low for me is, like, I don't know, the beginning of the film where it's about, like, talking about the trade and they're coming for a meeting and stuff like that. It was it was a little confusing for me, and I felt like it kind of took a little long to really pick up so I definitely think kind of like that B 
beginning for me was a little too slow. Okay. Uh, Misty, how about you? My best moment is really the fight between Dark Maul and and Obi-Wan and Anakin. It was such an incredible moment to see. You mean Qui-Gon? And Qui-Gon, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) How about your low light? What was your low light? Uh, Low, any scene with Jar Jar. (laughs) Chris, how about you? I am I, I am just oddly in sync with Misty about this since um, I was I pretty much love the character of Darth Maul I mean his coolness factor and uh, he was just sim- obviously similar to Darth Vader but different I mean he didn't have much personality of any kind we know just about nothing about his background or anything really about it he was just a bad guy that was just dropped in as evil and. You know, I don't. I'm not sure how many people are interested in his backstory or anything. I'm not sure if we got it through the expanded universe, but he was. He yes. was. We did. Oh, cool. Yes. But at any rate, despite being such an unknown, I thought he was very cool. And uh, the, in terms of my low point, definitely anything with Jar Jar's prank falls in it, and uh, and uh, the pod race was excellent but it almost equals a low point for me simply because i thought it went just too long yeah it was it was a longer scene but like shelby said it looked amazing and i liked all the different character designs um for me i would say my high point was uh definitely seeing the the abilities of the jedi really uh focused on and enhanced you know the jedi speed that we see the first time when they're uh, battling the droidicas uh, using the lightsaber to melt through a door that had been locked. I thought that was really cool. Stuff that I didn't like, like the low lights for me, it's kind of a tie. Like, Jar Jar, I could take or leave. Like, I'm kind of neutral about him. Like, there was some interesting scenes that he was in. I didn't find him particularly awesome. But to me, he is eclipsed in a way by the god-awful acting of Jake Lloyd. It was so bad, and I know he didn't have the greatest dialogue to work with, but and I know he was just a kid, but I I couldn't I couldn't I rewatching it like it seems like everyone is just mailing it in the whole time except for you and McGregor and Liam Neeson they're like the only ones that were really like yeah this is this is gonna boost our career and like you and McGregor was still young at that point I mean technically they all were it was all twenty years ago but. Everybody was just having a, uh, like, they didn't care much. They're like, oh, I'm getting paid one way or the other. And, like, and you, that kind of infected the entire trilogy. But yeah, that and anything that made me think I was watching Space C SPAN, that it's, I don't want to see people talking about, like, Senate stuff. I don't want to see people talking about, like, oh, well, yes, the chair recognized the esteemed. A senator from Naboo, and then like those weird cow guys jump out, and they're like, "We object!" And then it's like, "Hey, look, there's ET," and it's it's <sighs> there was no reason for that. That stuff didn't have to happen. Like I know you can kind of, if you want to throw a little bit of that in there, and you know, see Palpatine sort of weaseling his way in and really um, <clears throat> influencing politics in that way. And it's like, oh, well, you know, I would never do this. And, oh, you know, I think he's bad. It's like, oh, you should take over. Oh, me? Oh, I never would have thought you would you would pick me. And it's from that aspect, though, if you watch the whole thing, 
you know, because we're not talking about it as a trilogy. We're just talking about it as this one film. I hated that. You do get to see why they've included it, and you know, it really gives uh, a boost to how badass of a character the Emperor is. So, what was your uh, overall take seeing it then versus just rewatching it recently for this show? How have your feelings changed, or have they stayed the same? Chris, I'll start with you this time. Largely the same, I would say. It, it's, uh, it, in my opinion, it was the weakest of the of, of um the three episode one to three. Um, yes, a lot of the politics were meandering, and I was lost, you know, the first time I saw it. But then, you know, then it's just me. I can't say I like politics, you know, because that's strange. But I could say I'm heavily involved, so it was interesting to see, at least from my standpoint, how Palpatine used that side of his wits to get in, you know, that to see the equivalent of real, of real life finagling and how he plays on the fears of people and tells them what they want to hear to get to win their loyalty, et cetera, et cetera. So I was cool with that, even though it was, you know, meandering at times. So, but in terms of everything else, I would say my experience was largely the same. Uh, Misty, how about you? I think it was a little bit different. I mean, I, Still think it was definitely the weakest of all the films, but I enjoyed it a little bit more than I did the last time I saw it because I saw like, you know, I really enjoyed more of the special effects and I enjoyed seeing Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor and definitely Ray Parks. I had a chance to meet Ray Parks and see him move around like that in person and, you know, seeing him on screen doing it too is, is enjoyable, but not the same as seeing in person so it's just remembering that as i was watching it how about you shelby so i mean the first film i know so many people dog on it but this it was literally my like gateway into star wars like this was the first movie of all of them that i had saw so at the time it was like the greatest thing since sliced bread for me <laughs> but now kind of watching it older like yeah there's some things i can nitpick about it but i mean i I don't really hate it. Yes, yeah, some parts were a bit slower, and I didn't really care much as a kid. And now I'm kind of like, oh, can this part kind of like hurry up so we can get to the better stuff? Mm-hmm. But there's just still so much to appreciate about it, and it still has that nostalgia factor for me. For me, it's, uh, you know, I kind of agree with like the three of you uh, in, in different ways where it's, you know, for me, it's like, all right, I'm waiting for this stuff to happen. You know, seeing it in the theater on the midnight release, it's like you have no idea what's coming out. Like there weren't, you know, uh, you know, tons of, you know, YouTube channels like doing predictions and breaking everything down frame by frame the way they are now. And so you had to just kind of guess and hope and, and really just think about what you thought was going to happen. So there's that aspect, but rewatching it, having 20 years of movie watching and movie critiquing, under my belt one of the things that drives me nuts about prequels especially when it's like okay there's an established mythology about a character all of this is hap you know you know what's going to happen and then they try to make it seem they put that character in any type of situation where you're like oh gee i wonder if he's gonna live in this or i wonder if this is gonna happen how is he gonna escape it's like <laughs> you know he's going to be fine you know that everything's going to be okay. Uh, I had this issue with um, Solo when they released Solo. It's like, 
you know, there's a there's a scene where, you know, they're hanging on. It's very reminiscent of uh, Indiana Jones and again uh, in The Mandalorian where it's like, oh, I'm hanging off the edge of this vehicle and there's a rock face coming and oh I wonder if he's going to get out of the way in time. It's like, yeah, he's in six more fucking movies. Like I I I know he's going to be okay. Like that type of thing drives me nuts. It's like you know he's going to be all right. You know this character is going to survive. Like don't put them in a situation where it's like, "Oh, ha, he's dead now. There's no way he's going to escape." It's like, "Yeah, he's he's going to be fine." Like something like that I don't like. I you know, but something like how do you get from, you know, like you're trapped, you know, you've been taken prisoner. How do you get away? Like you know that they do, but don't get it in like, you know, one of those fake out deaths where it's like, oh, the plane went down. Oh, but it pulled up at the second. Everybody's okay. Like, don't do that. So rewatching it, I tried to keep the cynicism and like recapture my, my the joy that I had at 18 of, of watching this movie and, and seeing all of these characters that... You know, I wondered where they came from for so long. I was able to do that a little bit. I still get chills when the the opening chorus of of uh, Duel of the Fates comes on, and and he extends his double bladed lightsaber, and Qui Gon's like, "We'll take care of this." And it's like, "Oh, you you don't though." And again, uh, Chris, this goes to your uh, a little bit to your retroactive continuity thing, where it's like. You know, we see in the third movie, it's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. Oh, Darth Maul had the high ground. And he also had a weapon. <laughs> Obi-Wan didn't have a weapon. Now, is there anything of in this film where you're like, man, why didn't... How did you not... Like, when Darth Maul kicks Obi-Wan's lightsaber down the, the, the tunnel there, why didn't Obi-Wan grab it with the Force and, like, pull it back over and then, like, plot his next move? So like that for me that's that's one of them. So Shelby is there anything like that for you in this in this movie? Um so definitely something that kind of stood out to me was the underwater scene when they're down there Qui-Gon like he said like this is his first time even knowing of these people's like existence and then when he's like talking about taking Jar Jar with him and it's a part of their like laws and I'm like you just found out about them five minutes. How do you already know about their, like, rules and laws and stuff? So that was kind of something that stuck out to me. I'm like, how does he already know that? Like, he just met these people. Chris, how about you? A lot of little things like that bother me, but as, as I've noticed, the C-3PO thing the most, because when you're when you're writing retroactive continuity, continuity let's face it, you're still writing something new. And you, your writers often want to build on things, maybe introduce a previous idea, but considering the material that's already out there, it just doesn't work all the time, you know. <laughs> and, but um, in terms of logic, um, yeah, I was thinking about that thing with the lightsaber. Why didn't you just, you know, uh, telekinetically pull it back up when it went down? I see. I try to marvel no prize things when I'm watching it to explain stuff. So I just thought to myself, eh, he was too nervous trying to hold on. I guess that kind of works. <laughs> and uh, I think that if he had, Maul would have reacted differently to him. He wouldn't have been able to do what he did at the end. You know, the, the super flippy stabby slash move. Um, Misty, how about you? Is there anything that you're just like, man, this was dumb. Why didn't they, why did they do this? Or why did they, why didn't they do this? Um, I pretty much agree with the whole Obi-Wan with the lightsaber. Did you find anything uh, throughout the film? 
where there are certain things where you're like, okay, this could have been cut and not affected the film or the following films or the previous films in any way. Is there any there were any little things that you're just like, oh my god, this is so stupid. Why did they include this? Uh, I'll give you mine first. Uh, Jar Jar walking, you know, it through Tatooine and stepping in the big pile of shit. Did we need that? Like, was that something that was vital to the plot, or was that just like, hey, you know what's funny? People stepping in shit without shoes on. Hey, that's pretty good. Let's put that in the movie. Like, did you guys have anything like that? Uh, Chris, I'll start with you. Well, based on what you just said, Patrick, and my, that's another example, in my opinion, of, uh, you know, Jar Jar big silliness. We just saw, I mean, what do you want to – I'm trying to think of what to call it. Um. Um, the easy laugh they would go for, you know, uh, something that stopped being funny 20 years earlier than that. And But now, hey, we can put stuff like that in a movie even that's intended for younger audiences to see when we couldn't in the 70s, so let's do it. You know, but it's not funny anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, everything with Jar Jar with me just to <laughs> that movie. Shelby, you got anything? Well, I mean, definitely the scene you talked about. I'm just like, that... Like, it was unnecessary. I mean, I know they were trying to use him as comic relief, but I was just like, poo jokes aren't funny anymore. And then I know there was just, like, another small one when they were still on Tatooine when uh, the older woman, like, tells Annie, oh, there's a storm a-brewing. I'm like, why would you randomly just kind of, like, cut to this, like, Mad Max knockoff character (laughs) (laughs) for, like, no reason? Like, just say, like, oh, a storm's coming, like, instead of just randomly throwing in, like, a face shot of this random character. (laughs) There's a storm a-brewing. I feel it in my laser hips. Uh, (laughs) Misty, what do you got on that? Do you have anything? Um, Because as you were talking, Shelby, I thought of another thing where the... uh, there was like it's kind of like a pack animal that was like pulling them along, and it like farted at them. And Jar Jar's like, "Oh, that's so gross!" or whatever the hell he said. And the thing like turns and looks at him, like, "Yeah, I just fucking shat on you. What are you gonna do about it?" So like that again, you know, fart jokes, you know, poop jokes. It's it's not, it doesn't belong in Star Wars. Uh, no. Missy, you got anything like that? Um, well, when he ate the little things hanging off the the rack. Oh yeah, when he was eating the uh, the thing that it shot across and and landed in Sebulba's soup, whatever his name was. Yeah, Sebulba. Sebulba, and then Sebulba grabbed it, and then he ended up eating it. Yeah, like that. I guess it's supposed to show, like, oh, he's a super badass. Like, oh, he's a little guy, and he walks on his hands, and I, I don't. I'd... He was an annoying. He was really annoying character. Yeah, he was a dick too. I'm glad he's dead. He was. Oh, he didn't die, but I'm sure he did eventually. Everybody does. So overall, we've all pretty much agreed that this is the weakest in the trilogy. I personally don't give ratings to movies anymore, but if you guys do, what would you rate it, uh, Shelby? Uh, I mean, I really don't like rating movies just because I'm like, it's all on a matter of opinion. Then would you like, say obviously- recommend or not recommend if you're watching the series? Um, I feel like... Out of all the movies, this would be the one I would recommend last. But I feel like everyone should at least watch it one time and then kind of just, like, set it to the back of the shelf just to say you watched it. Misty? 
Well, you have to see it for Dark Maul. And Chris, I will agree with both Shelby and Misty. Um, it's uh, it's it's worth seeing to so you know where everything else is going in episode two and three. So it's more necessary than entertaining, if you want to call it that. But for Darth Maul, yes, he pretty much makes it worth. It. Between the next, so that's that's our our thoughts on episode one, the Phantom Menace. So now we have a ten year time jump, and now we enter. Attack of the Clones, Episode 2. All right, here is the trailer for Episode 2. This following preview has been approved for all audiences by the Motion Picture Association of America. I will not let this republic be split in two. My negotiations will not fail. If they do, there aren't enough Jedi to protect the Republic. We're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. You know I don't like it when you do that. Sorry, Master. I forgot you don't like flying. Well, you've lost him. If you'll excuse me. I hate it when he does that. Anakin, don't do anything without first consulting either myself or the Council. You don't need guidance, Anakin. I see you becoming the greatest of all Jedi. The boy has exceptional skills. His abilities have made him arrogant. Excuse me. I'm in charge of security here, m'lady. They are using a bounty hunter named Jango Fett to create a clone army. Wait. We must stop them before they're ready. Your clones are very impressive. They'll do their job well. Blast! That's why I hate flying. This is a crisis. The Senate must vote the Chancellor emergency powers. As my first act, I will create a grand army of the Republic to counter the increasing threats of the Separatists. Hasn't been a full-scale war since the formation of the Republic. You must join me, Obi-Wan. And together, we will destroy the Sith. The dark side clouds everything. In grave danger, you are. This Clone War has. Okay, so that was the trailer for the second film. And when you guys uh, first saw this, what did you think of this trailer? And uh, we'll go with... uh, We'll start with uh, Chris this time. Chris, what did you think when you first saw this? Well... I like the wealth of those uh, three creatures. Uh, we, I don't think we saw all three of them, but the, um, the creatures that were in the arena, I'm, I'm like, you know, being a fan of monsters, I'm like, cool, there's monsters in this one. And maybe we'll get to see more of them than we saw of the Wampa in episode five, etc. And I liked basically seeing so many characters reprise the roles from the last one. We didn't ma- mention um, Mace Window yet, but I think Samuel Jackson, he's pretty much a badass in any role he plays. So I thought this is like his pre, yeah, pre-Nick Fury days. Mm-hmm. So I I thought it was an awesome trailer. Uh, Misty, how about you? I thought it looked awesome. I saw 
Samuel L. Jackson. I was like, okay, this is cool. And I like the monsters there, too. I was excited for it. Shelby? Um, I was super excited for this one because you finally get to see, like, the council, like, the actual masters at work in this one. So you get to see Yoda, Master Windu, and all of them. And I'm like, okay, in the first one, they already had some really, like, powerful Jedi. I I really want to see how these masters are when they're in battle. The thing for me, because there was a couple of trailers, like every every film does now, you release a couple of trailers. The trailer where Yoda opens his robe and holds his hand out and his lightsaber flies into his hand and he ignites it, that to me was like, okay, I don't give a shit what else happens in this movie. I'm going to see Yoda fight with a lightsaber. And it was the greatest thing for me. Uh, that's my favorite lightsaber battle coming into that that film. So when I first saw it, I was like, okay, this one seems like there's going to be a lot more action, much less like Senate negotiations. So, and uh, Chris, you touched on the fact that uh, we didn't really mention much of Mace Windu in the first movie. He didn't really do much. He had a few lines of dialogue. He was there. Uh, he acted a little bit, but there was really not a whole lot that that he did. Same with Yoda. Like they were just, hey, they're in this movie. But in this film, we get to see a lot more of them. Now, one of the things that is unique about Mace Windu's character is that not only does he have a very flashy lightsaber with you know, a lot of gold accent on it, but it's also purple, which is really yeah. the first time we've seen something other than blue, green, or red. Do any of you folks know why he picked a purple blade? Because he wanted it purple. There's a specific reason why he wanted it purple, though. And it has to do with the fact that um, that big battle on Geonosis when there's, you know, hundreds of Jedi all battling at the same time. He said in an interview, he's like, I'd like you to, I'd like to tell you it's because, you know, my character is so powerful. And he is. He's one of the greatest swordsmen, you know, second only to Yoda. And he even says, you know, there's uh, I'd like to tell you because it's my, my character is so powerful. But really, I knew there was going to be a lot of group shots from far away, and I wanted to be like, hey, there I am. It was just a way for him to pick himself out of the crowd. Which, that if you're sense. Samuel L. Jackson, and there are rumors that his lightsaber hilt had bad motherfucker inscribed on it because of his Pulp Fiction uh, wallet. And um, I would be very surprised if that was not true. So, coming into this film, you know, it's three years after The Phantom Menace. I mean, in our time. But it's been ten years in movie time. What did you think of seeing Hayden Christensen as a young Anakin Skywalker taking over for um, Jake Lloyd in the first film? And how did you think he handled his interactions with uh, Natalie Portman's Padme Amidala, who is now no longer queen. She is a senator, which apparently they had a democracy on Naboo, and she went from queen to senator because she got, uh, I guess her term limits were reached as queen, which if you're going to be elected as a queen, like call it something else. Like, I'm the supreme emperor for at least another two years until they hold another election. Then I'll just be some guy again. Um Shelby, what did you think as a, a young girl watching these interactions between Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman on screen? Oh, so <laughs> cr 
cringy. I'm like, that That was the biggest thing I got from that then, and that's the biggest thing I got from that now, is that it was just so, I don't know, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but it was so cringy. Because you could tell he was still fairly immature, but I know that was kind of supposed to go with his character arc, because in episode one, Obi-Wan himself is still a Padawan, and obviously uh, his master dies before... I think he's even really ready to move on. And the only reason he took Anakin under his belt was because his master told him to. And so I feel like he's not being a proper, almost like a parental figure to Anakin. Like he's almost kind of like, like he knows how powerful Anakin is. And so I feel like he almost kind of feels like he has to show kind of his like superiority to him sometimes so then Anakin kind of lashes back with his, like, childishness and stuff like that. So it's definitely almost kind of a toxic relationship between those two, which I ultimately feel was the downfall in Anakin's emotional state. I agree with that, because uh, unlike most of the Jedi, in order to become a master, in order to become to get the rank of Jedi Knight, uh, first of all, before you can even become, you know, a member of the Council and be granted the rank of master you have to go through what's called the jedi trials obi-wan didn't have to do that but they were like well you defeated a sith lord in single combat so all right you can be a jedi knight now so he had a a, a very unorthodox way of becoming uh, to to earning his role and then taking on this padawan who is Again, much too old. You know, he, they usually start training much younger than this. You know, he's had a weird upbringing. He's very attached to his parents. You know, usually Force-sensitive children are taken as babies before they have the opportunity to really have any bonding experiences with parents or siblings. And that, coupled with everything you just said, I think was, you know, what kind of led to his downfall. Um, Misty, what about you? What did you think of how Anakin... Uh, his relationship, not just with Padme, I should say, you know, kind of everyone, but especially his relationship with Padme. What did you think watching it in 2002 and then watching it again recently? I pretty much agree with Shelby on that, and my opinion hasn't changed from the first time I saw it to now. It's it's uncomfortable. It's They have no chemistry whatsoever. Really, it, it's just like, it just feels weird, the two of them, because he was this little kid, and she's a heck of a lot older than him. Yeah, she's got him by uh, four years. So she's not, it's That's not, it? yeah, it's, he is, she was a very young queen. So she's in her early 20s, and he's 19 at this point. Oh, okay. So yeah, she's she's only got him by a few years, canonically. It's like four or five years. Okay. Well, it looks. It it looks. She looks a lot older than than him. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what about you? What did you think uh, was the you know the the what did you think of the the relationship and then uh, you know then and now? Well, yeah, I do see the cringe factor in there that both um, Shelby and Misty mentioned. I'm probably not for the same reason because from a personal perspective, having dated many younger women, I don't get the cringe factor from the age thing difference. Um, but it basically, I mean, the stuff that he was saying, 
um, Anakin, it was beautiful but sappy. Is that a good way to say it? Like, mm. you know, I I could almost feel Padme cringing along with me. <laughs> you know, it, it seemed kind of is this the word artificial? Because mm. it's in the script. Is that how it goes? That she fell in love with them. So yeah, I did see the fakeness of it that Misty mentioned, and that Shelby um hit on too. It it was just in the script. For me, I uh, looking back at it at that point, I was like, man, this guy has got no game. You know, he's just. <laughs> is, uh, but again, that's me at twenty one. You know, I had no game at twenty one. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but watching it now, all I'm thinking of is is like, oh, I haven't seen anyone in ten years. I've been training to become a Jedi for the past ten years, so he hasn't really had the ability to form the complexities and nuances and understanding of peer bonding because everything he does involves combat and magic powers. So he hasn't really gotten the chance to interact with people, especially where you know he's been told over and over and over, you're the chosen one, you're the chosen one, you're the chosen one, you're the best, you're the greatest. And then when he tries to act like it, it's like, no, sorry, you know, you need to learn more and you need to do better and you need to settle down and you need to you know focus. And it's like, but you keep telling me how great I am. But then when I try to prove how great I am, you tell me that I'm not that great. So which is it? And then he sees this girl, the only person who he really was friends with because, you know, friends with like that weird kid and the weird like Rodian uh, on on Tatooine when he was a, a, a youngster. Like those weren't real friendships. Like they were almost like bullies to him. Like, because he was the weird kid who was the slave, but, like, he liked fixing things and building things. And then, you know, finally someone's nice to him and genuine to him, and he goes through this whole huge, you know, traumatic experience. I mean, like, how many people did he kill? Quite a few. Like, as a nine-year-old, you know, he watched all these people die in front of him, and now he, he they're like, oh, so, by the way... Uh, you can't have any friends. Uh, you have to listen to this guy that you barely know. Uh, you have to listen to this little weird lumpy green dude and all these other guys that like you just don't know, but they're just going to be like really mean to you all the time. They're going to give you all these mixed messages. And by the way, don't ever like girls or form any type of romantic attachments. And he's like, got it, but I didn't hear anything that you just said. So I think that also really contributed to his downfall. It's like, yep, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I'm going to completely ignore it. You see how reckless he is. You know, we saw it in the trailer where, you know, they're chasing after the the uh the assassin. He's like, "Oh, we can go this way. It's a shortcut." And Obi-Wan's like, "Oh, great. You lost him." It's like, "Oh, well, let me leap out of this and fall thousands of feet and just land on the outside." Like he doesn't plan more than like two seconds ahead of himself you know and he just relies on his abilities and you know his skill that like all right i don't have to practice i don't have to try i'm just naturally better than everyone else and that eventually becomes his downfall because he is a much more powerful jedi than pretty much anyone else you know but he lacks the training and the discipline and that ultimately leads to his uh is becoming extra crispy, but we're not at that point yet. <laughs> so a couple of the things that we get to see in uh, in this, we see a terrible performance by Jake Lloyd. And again, he was a kid. He wasn't given much to work with. 
despite the fact that he's working with all these amazing actors who are so good at their craft, you know, Sam Jackson, Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, and it's just like you, maybe it's the fact that he's with all of them that, you know, kind of makes him not seem as great of an actor. But I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen the movie Life is a House with Kevin Klein and uh, Mary Steenberg and, and Hayden Christensen and Jenna Malone. Hayden Christensen is a phenomenal actor. He is so good in that movie. He is in episodes two and three. We do not see any of that, you know, really shine through. Like, he's so good at what he does, but we don't really get to see much of it. And again, I think that's a problem with the dialogue and the scenes that he's in, because a lot of the stuff he has to say has to do, like, he has no, like Misty said, he has no chemistry with Natalie Portman. And, like, neither one of them really makes an effort to overcome that. And I think for certain scenes, it works. But when they're supposed to be, like, in love and everything's great and, you know, they're, it doesn't work as well. I think his relationship with Ewan McGregor, I think they had some good uh, chemistry. I don't think that uh, he really got to show his full range of of acting skill in this film. Now, much like the first film we do sadly have to suffer through jar jar binks who is now senator jar jar binks of naboo and it's unfortunate that he's even in this because again he doesn't really contribute much to the plot i think it's just more of he's there and i and i know i know how chris feels i know how you guys feel like it he didn't need to be there however we are introduced to another new badass character in christopher lee's count dooku now chris oh, yeah. I know you are a huge fan of all the monsters and things like that, and Christopher Lee is certainly no stranger to uh, the the horror genre. So when you found out Christopher Lee was in this, not only in this, but playing one of the top swordsmen when it comes to any of the force wielders, what was your initial reaction when you were like, oh my god, there's fucking Christopher Lee? Pretty much that, Patrick, and did you... <laughs> And uh, it was thrilling, especially since he wanted to do it because his um, his good friend Peter Cushing, who recently passed on then, was, was in episode four. And he always wanted a chance, you know, Christopher Lee to be in, in Star Wars if there was ever any more. And he did. And he got to play yet another memorable role. And I... It was thrilling to see the man that, that brought a version of Dracula to life get to bring Count Dooku to life. That's the second count that he's playing. <laughs> uh, Misty, I know you're a, a big horror fan as well, especially some of the older stuff. So what was your reaction upon seeing Christopher Lee? Um, I was excited. Christopher Lee was probably, well, my second favorite Dracula. Of course, Bella is always the best. But, you know, I do. He's a great bad guy. And I figured it would be really exciting to see him see him in Star Wars. I knew he'd be great. Now, Shelby, you are, again, much younger than my other two guests this evening. Were you familiar with Christopher Lee outside of the Lord of the Rings films? Um, no. That's pretty much where I first saw him was in Lord of the Rings. So as soon as I saw him in episode two, I was like, look, it's Sauron! <laughs> so that's where immediately I was like, oh, I know where this is going. He's gonna be a villain. Because I'm like, just his whole essence and his aura gives off villain bo villain vibes. I cannot speak. So I definitely was really excited to see him in a different role. 
because I definitely hadn't seen him in anything else apart from Lord of the Rings at the time. And I, I assume that since then you have seen him in some of his old, like some of the old Hammer films and stuff like that. Yes, I have definitely broadened my horizons since that era. <laughs> well, I figured you are you are a, a horror fan, but you yeah. uh, were introduced much later than obviously the rest of us. Um, yeah. But I will I will also say that I had not ever seen Christopher Lee in anything other than Lord of the Rings myself. And again, since then, I have broadened my horizons with some of his other work. But that, to me, was one of the better, uh, the better casting choices. Now, given how much we enjoyed Christopher Lee and who he is, would you have preferred that, if given the choice, would you have preferred that Darth Maul get his sort of role, like if they had switched and we get Christopher Lee in the first film? And he ends up uh, being the one-off character, and then we're introduced. We see Darth Maul, and he ends up having that same type of uh, character arc that Count Dooku has. Or do you think that things were good the way they kept them? Uh, Shelby, I'll start with you. Ooh, that that's such a hard choice, because you know everyone loved Darth Maul from the first episode, and we're all just like, man, we wish he had a little bit more time to actually figure out who he was, what he was about, and more of his backstory and storyline. But I'm like, I really loved Count Dooku in episode two that I feel like I wouldn't want to change anything just because I feel like if he was in the first one, I'm trying to think of how to word this. I feel like Darth Maul brought up episode one. So I wouldn't want, I don't know. I feel like Count Dooku would kind of throw off episode one almost. I feel like him being in episode two, it was perfectly balanced for me. So I definitely wouldn't change anything. Misty, how about you? I would keep it the same only no, because I know what I know is that I know that Dark Maul survived. Yes. Um, he survived in Clone Wars and then they brought him back later in Rebels. Andy was... But not everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chris, how about you? Would you have kept it the way it is, or would you have swapped their roles out? I would have kept it the way it is also, because I like, because um, even though we were we knew who the, the apprentice of the Sith Lord is right away in, in episode one, in episode two, I'm, I like that they kept it just a bit more mysterious, even though I think we saw that coming with Count Dooku, considering what he was doing right from the start. And it was good in that one to see Christopher Lee get the talking role that he did because he didn't get to talk much as Dracula in the Hammer films, mm-hmm. and uh, he, you know, he wasn't given that, you know, that room to shine like Bela Lugosi was in the role. But as Count Dooku, he was. And I don't want to jump ahead, but I do want to say, as sad as it was, he got shorted in Episode Three in the role. I'm glad in Episode Two he got to shine that way. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you guys. I I think that based just on how different the characters are, um, how different um, their their backgrounds are, because you have, you know, Maul is more of a... a Maul is a, a, a hammer, and when you're a hammer, everything you see is a nail. I would say Dooku is very, very much... He's a lot more nuanced and sophisticated of a character, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that he's played by Christopher Lee, who already at this point had a massive uh, resume when it comes to film. So I think that, you know, I would keep it the same way. I mean, again, I'm with, I'm with pretty much everybody. We would have liked to see some more Darth Maul. Like it sucks that he went out like a chump in the first film. I do like the way they integrated Christopher Lee into it. 
Um, <clears throat> so speaking of Christopher Lee, because we know he's played a lot of different roles, um, I do have a similar question. Do you think a fight scene between Yoda and Darth Maul in place of Yoda and Count Dooku would have been as good? Or do you think that uh, the Count Dooku was just so much better? And I'll go with uh, Misty first. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, because because Darth Maul fights dirty. Not that but Dooku Yoda didn't. Dirty too. I think it might. I think it actually would be better. Better fight. Shelby, what do you think? Um, I personally prefer that it was Yoda and Count Dooku, just because it is these two masters of their craft, and to see since Darth Maul was still only an apprentice. He wasn't at the same level as Count Dooku, so I definitely think seeing two masters go together instead of an apprentice and a master, because I definitely think Yoda would have whipped Darth Maul's butt. <laughs> I'm like, with one hand behind his back, pretty much. So I definitely think du- like Count Dooku was the right choice. Chris, how about you? I say the same because one thing I think is interesting, if you notice... Darth Maul was actually a lot more like Christopher Lee's version of Dracula than Count Dooku was. You know, didn't say much, and his badassery, I hope that's a word, mm-hmm. his badassery what was all in his physicality. You know, in terms, he goes right for the jugular, but Count Dooku, he was similar to Palpatine and even Bela Lugosi's version of Dracula because he had that, sw- is it the word suave? Mm-hmm. Or suave, that suaveness to him that, that he knows how to talk and manipulate verbally. And I thought he was just, he was a bigger badass than Darth Maul was. He beat uh, both um, Obi-Wan and uh, Anakin together and then stood up to Yoda one-on-one and got away. And he got the ball rolling on Anakin, Anakin becoming a cyborg. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to agree that, you know, because the mastery of the force that the two of them have, they were on pretty equal footing. Like, I don't see Maul firing uh, force lightning at anybody. I don't see him, you know, manipulating the environment. Like, we didn't see him do much of that in uh, in uh, in the first film. We saw it once where he, you know, used, some, you know, used the force to kind of throw a piece of uh, metallic debris into a control panel that, like, opened up the door for him. But... That was about it when it came to the forest. Like, he didn't do much with it. Whereas, uh, you know, we see the the beginning of the confrontation between Yoda and, and Dooku, where he says, It is obvious that this contest cannot be settled by our knowledge of the force, but instead by our skill with a lightsaber. And then that fight was just phenomenal. So one of the things that we see during this this film and I, I want to touch on this because it's been a kind of a hot topic discussion recently. Clone Army has been created, and all records of it have been deleted out of the, the Jedi archives. And the clone, uh, the, or the, the subject that's being cloned, is Jango Fett, the bounty hunter, who wears Mandalorian armor. And all he requested in payment was a clone of his own to raise as a child, which, as we know, becomes Boba Fett. Now... There is a growing debate, especially with the popularity of the Mandalorian TV show, about whether or not both uh, Jango and Boba Fett can be considered Mandalorians. Now, I will say right off the bat that if you consider Boba Fett a Mandalorian, then every single one of the clones is also a Mandalorian, which you see this 
what eventually becomes a huge, uh, expendable CGI army, which you see so often nowadays in movies. You know, Avengers, Age of Ultron, like all this stuff. There's always a huge expendable CGI army. Everybody looks the same. And this is nothing new for cinema. This has never been anything new for cinema. And even some of the... uh, We do get to see this a little more in the Clone Wars series where, you know, some of the clones have specific names and, like, they do different things with their hair or they have scars or, you know, some sort of uh, way of differentiating them from the other clones. Instead of just going by number, they start to have names and develop personalities. So my question for you guys is, do you consider... Django Fett to be a Mandalorian, why or why not? And Chris, I will start with you. Well, I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen the Mandalorian yet, but I do plan on getting um, Disney Plus, as we discussed a couple days ago, since there's a deal, and Mm -hmm. I will definitely get back to you then. Okay. Uh, Shelby, how about you? Um, I personally don't consider him a Mandalorian. I feel like he pretty much left that lifestyle behind because watching the Mandalorian so far, it seems like they're pretty much a tribe. They're a clan. They stick together where he's pretty much only out for himself. So I definitely feel like he pretty much left that lifestyle behind. So I feel like he pretty much cut ties with his roots. Misty? Okay. Well, Boba Fett definitely is not a Mandalorian. However, we don't know about Django. We don't really know his history. I I really can't say yes or no to that. I will explain why I think he is not a Mandalorian. We see his face right there. Mandalorians do not remove their helmets. It's certainly not in the, the presence of anyone else. Certainly not in, you know, removing all their armor and just, like, kind of hanging out because we... We see him at the beginning. It's like, oh, that's like a silver and blue Boba Fett. Oh, that's super cool. And then we see him later, and he's got none of his armor on. It's just kind of chilling in a ch- in a closet, like sitting on the floor. It's not even like hung up in any like type of ceremonial way. Like there's no mannequin that he's placed everything on. It's almost like he doesn't care about the armor. He doesn't treat it with the respect and reverence that it deserves. That a Mandalorian, a true Mandalorian, would give it. So I say, no way. He's not a Mandalorian. He has Mandalorian armor, but that does not make him a Mandalorian. So that's what I'm gonna but I'm gonna Simone go with. That. Rebels is a Mandalorian, and she does take her helmet off. Oh, she shouldn't, because that's that's the rule. No one takes the helmet off, and certainly not. Uh, it certainly doesn't get removed by anyone else. So we we see that um, because I, I I think Darth uh, Count Dooku or Darth Tyrannus. Uh, as he is known in the Sith world. He's really like the central figure of this film. Like I know we're supposed to concentrate on Anakin and and uh, Obi-Wan. But for me it's really Count Dooku because he's involved in all of the main action. Like half the movie, you know, dipshit Anakin is off on Naboo playing in playing in the in the fields and picking flowers and rolling around with freaking rhinoceroses. <laughs> making lame attempts to, to, to woo Padme and talking about how much he hates sand, which just fuck that entire monologue right there. Um, he really doesn't factor into the plot quite as much. No. I mean, I would say he's probably like the fourth or fifth character as far as importance to this film, but it is a Skywalker trilogy, 
just like the previous one and just like the subsequent one. So for me, Count Dooku is the most important figure in this entire film because he is responsible for the creation of the clone army and the maintenance of the clone army as opposed... Uh, no, I'm sorry, the, uh, the separatist army. He is gathering other systems and other, uh, other leaders of other, other worlds and gaining their armies together. He has got the droid army that, you know, he's kind of in charge of the banking clan. He's, he's in charge of everything behind the scenes while Palpatine is pulling strings in the Senate. Dooku is behind the scenes kind of consolidating strength. And, you know, we see him involved in everything. Like, oh, Obi-Wan gets captured. And he's like, oh, oh, what a, what a terrible misunderstanding this is. Oh, this is so bad. Do you want to join me? And, like, we'll totally overthrow the Emperor because, like, he's totally a Sith Lord and in control of the Senate. Like, you can join me. Like, that would be cool. Like, man, if Qui-Gon was here, like, remember Qui-Gon? Remember how awesome he was? Man, I wish Qui-Gon was here because he'd totally do it. Like, and you're cool, right? Because you, you're cool. You, like, you'd, you'd join me. Like, you're, you're cool, right? And Obi-Wan's like, I'll never join you. He's like, oh, yeah, it might be tough to get you out of the, this, these restraints. Like, they might execute you. I mean, offer's still there. Like, you can join me and, like, we'll overthrow, like, the Sith and we'll bring peace to the galaxy. But, like, otherwise, like, I don't know. There's, my hands are tied. There's not a whole lot I can do. But you could join me. So for you guys, uh, who is the, the main, sort of like the main, I don't want to say main protagonist because, like, I think that's putting too fine of a point on it. But the character that you think uh, holds the most influence over the entire story and uh shelby i'll start with you i mean i completely agree with what you're saying like well anakin was off like cutting pears with the force <laughs> for padme like dooku was actually doing stuff and the thing i really like about dooku is that like he like he knows what he wants and he is going for it where you see in episode one and episode two that the Jedi Council is almost pretty much like just putting a blind eye to everything that's going on. And Quagon was pretty much the last one. That I'm pretty sure that's why they had said he didn't want to be a part of the Council. Because he pretty much was the last one that knew what was going on and was trying to make a change. Where the other Masters were just like, oblivious, don't care what's going on, like... Oh, of course nothing bad's going on. We would have sensed the presence of the Sith. Like, hmm, apparently you did not. Because they've been under your nose, like, the whole time. So it just goes to show, like, how powerful he is if they're able to almost, like, mask that presence from these other masters. I mean, even to touch on your point there, like, Palpatine decorated his office with Sith artifacts and had lightsabers hidden all over the place. Like, he had some in statues. He had some, like, obviously one up his sleeve. But, like, he just decorated his office with with Sith artifacts and was like, look how goddamn stupid these guys are. Like, they don't even know what's going on. Like, yeah. it's out in the open, and they're still like, oh, we totally trust you. Uh, Misty, how about you? Who's your, your central character for this? Um, I agree with you, actually. I mean, it's definitely... Stephanie Calpine and uh, I'm, I, I know I pronounced his name wrong and and Dooku in the second and the third. Chris? Anakin's oh, sticking around with Padme, you know, 
oblivious to everything that's going on. The Jedi Council doesn't know what's going on. I don't know where they're looking. The Force is not helping them. Chris, how about you? What did you think? Oh, uh, definitely Dooku and Palpatine, like uh, Misty just said. I believe Shelby touched on before because they, they um, the two of them working in concert was basically the villainy, the villain quotient of that second movie. It's unfortunate, like maybe jumping a little ahead too, that um, Dooku had to make way completely early on for um, Anakin to take his place as the villain with uh, um. The, the well, Palpatine before just before he became the Emperor, but yeah, it was the Dooku Palpatine pair. But I still think Jango Fett had a good had a good presence there because his his fights with um, Obi Wan was pretty badass, and his fight with Mace Windu later in the movie was pretty badass. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to that, but um, Missy, there was something that you brought up in our uh, I forget if it was in this uh within the conversation that we've been having or prior to but you had mentioned uh one of the things you asked about why uh why did Qui-Gon never come back as a force ghost to Anakin right now in this movie we find that and we we find, we saw this at the end of the first when they were kind of testing the council was testing uh Anakin just trying to see like what his powers were and they're like oh your thoughts dwell on your mother and he never really got over that because he hadn't seen her in 10 years. So they go back to Tatooine. He's like, you know, I, I want to see my mom. So he's asking around, trying to find her. And it turns out that she's been, uh, she was married. She had been uh, freed. And uh, then she was subsequently kidnapped by sand people. And so yep. he goes and he just destroys everyone because she's all beat up and hurt and she dies in his arms. And he just goes full murder mode and just kills every single last Tusken Raider in that specific camp. Obviously, it's not all of them because we see them in episode four, but in that specific encampment, they all get killed. And he said, I, you know, I didn't care. It was the women. It was the children. While this was going on, we flash over to Yoda, who is sensing all this, and he can kind of hear through the force, and we hear Qui-Gon scream Anakin's name. So that's kind of like the closest we we see to Qui-Gon appearing as a Force ghost. He clearly uh, has some sort of influence even in death, you know, which kind of sets up what we find out at the end of the third film. But he's he's trying to reach out to Anakin because he's the one who believed that, you know, Anakin was the virgins of the Force, that he was the chosen one, the the prophecy and you know he's trying to uh you know stop Anakin from making this horrible mistake but obviously he gives in to his hate and his anger and this is really the first time we see him giving in to the dark side of the force and using his powers in a way that you know are very antithetical to the Jedi way so uh Chris you touched on the Jango Fett versus uh Obi-Wan fight so there's a long history throughout all of uh, canon and non-canon where the Mandalorians and the Jedi have uh, come into con- conflict many, many times. And this was a really good scene. Like I said, you know, this has a lot more action where, you know, the previous film has a lot of, you know, ceremony in the Senate and 
stuff like that. This has a lot more uh, one-on-one and two-on-one battles, like a lot of really cool fight scenes. And this one takes place on Kamino, where the cloning facility is. And, you know, Obi-Wan has a very strong intuition that this is the bounty hunter who is behind the assassination attempt on Padme, which is true. Um, and we finally get to see them come to uh, come to blows and actually have a, a, a serious battle, a battle that I would say uh, ends in a draw. And really, when you think about how everything turns out, I think uh, Django gets the upper hand on him. So. When you saw this fight coming and you got to see this for the first time, Chris, what was your reaction to being able to see a Force user against a non-Force user and have it be uh, a semi-fair battle? What did you think of that? Well, I think it was pretty cool because it showed as, uh, as amazing and badass as the Jedis are, they are not the biggest game in town in that galaxy, so to speak. There are other warriors, completely different types of warriors, who can stand up to them and using different types of high tech weaponry, which I thought was pretty cool. He had a lot of gadgets, uh, Django. And uh, that was the battle. I wish we could have seen with his son, um, Boba Fett and in, in episode six, I wish we could have seen him do as well. Cause I thought, you know, he'd, even though we saw those weapons used before in episode six, I don't think Boba Fett showed as much, we got a chance to see him do as much as his father did. So, yeah. How about you, Misty? When you first saw that, what was what was your uh, interpretation of it? Um, I thought it was. I mean, I thought it was great. I I loved Boba Fett, so I really liked Jango Fett as well. And I always knew that Mandalorians. I considered him a Mandalorian, so you know, I knew that they had very high tech weapon weaponry, and I thought it was really really cool that, as much as I liked Obi, you know, it was pretty cool that. They that Django had the upper hand there. Shelby? So I definitely was really excited to see this battle just because we all know Jedi's are very powerful in their craft. So it was really interesting to see them go up against someone else who is also skilled in their craft. So it was nice to see a battle between two equally strong people that had completely different skill sets. So I think that was what was really interesting for the battle for me. Because most most of the previous battles, you just see lightsabers, the Force, where this one, obviously, uh, Jango doesn't have like the Force with him. He just has his Mandalorian skill set, or bounty, hel- bounty hunter skill set. So it was definitely interesting to see how he can stack up to an actual Jedi. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. Like, getting the chance to see someone who is, you know, pretty much at the top of their game because, you know, you're not going to make an army out of, like, the second best bounty hunter in all the in all the land. You know, you're obviously going to go for who's the best. And you kind of saw this, you know, a little bit of a dick measuring contest when they first met and started talking to each other. And you're like, okay, these guys are either going to fight or they're going to start making out. One of the two, <laughs> and I would not be surprised whichever way Lucas goes. And obviously they start fighting. And... You know, it reminded me at the time, it didn't remind me of this, but, you know, it was just like, oh, you know, that's just because he's so badass and he's counteracting the force with technology. So, and we didn't see Obi use the force all that much. He was trying to rely on his lightsaber skills. Plus it was raining and his hair was getting all messy and he was like, oh no, my hair, like look how long and luxurious it is. Now it's getting ruined in the rain. It's going to be all frizzy. Um, Thinking about it 
you know, rewatching it, it reminds me a lot of uh, comic books where you have somebody like Batman with all his gadgets fighting someone who has actual powers and Batman coming out on top because he's using his brains and his experience. I would wager that Jango Fett is much older than uh, Obi-Wan, especially at that time, and has much more experience, you know, like you had mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Misty, fighting dirty, so to speak, you know, doing whatever he needed to do to come out on top. Because, you know, when you're a bounty hunter, you're not just tracking down a specific quarry. You are also in direct competition with other people who have very similar skill sets. So you have to do something to sort of differentiate yourself and stand out from the pack. So I think having this fight was awesome. And it's really, you know, you don't get to see many times where there's not, where a Jedi's involved in like a straight fight. There's always lightsabers involved, at least for a little while. Um, and there was in this, you know, for a little bit, but, you know, you actually got to see some hand-to-hand combat and Obi-Wan was getting his ass kicked, you know, a little bit and probably should have died. But, you know, because he was hanging on to Django as they slid down that smooth surface and Django kind of jammed his uh, bladed armor into it and then swung uh, Obi-Wan down on that long cable that he had initially grabbed him with. Uh yeah, so I, I think that one has to go to, to Django. What do you guys think? Do, do you think that goes to Django or that goes to Obi-Wan? Shelby? goes to Django. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I think Django is a Mandalorian. Shelby? Um, I definitely agree. I definitely think uh, Obi-Wan was focusing too much like, oh, I can take him down easily, I'm a Jedi, and kind of almost underestimated him. So I definitely think that's where he would have got the upper hand on him. Chris? I think it went a little bit in favor of uh, of Django Fett, but later it proved – well, later Mace Window sort of made up for that. Yeah, I, I still think he got the, the upper hand because even though that they were being tracked and, you know, Obi-Wan does do that, that nice move where he's like, okay, dump all the spare parts right when this thing explodes to make them think that, you know, I'm dead. You know, that was pretty smart, but that was – that – I think uh, when you're you know talking about retroactive continuity, that I think, um, and I I didn't make the connection when I first watched it. That's the same move that Boba Fett later pulls to track the Millennium Falcon in uh, Episode Five. Oh yeah, it's the exact same move. Like hide, hide here, float away with the junk, and then there they are. Go get them. Um, because Obi-Wan gets captured, you know, shortly after that and then gets put into the execution pit. He does have one of the better lines when, uh, Anakin's like, oh, well, uh, you know, we're here to rescue you. And he's like, nice job. Uh, (laughs) but there were, there were a few things. I think the writing in this film was much better. The plot was much better than the previous one. The acting was much better. Still not amazing, as we discussed with the lack of chemistry between Hayden and Natalie. But the uh, the fan service, uh, to me, there were a few times that I was just like, really? Like, you know, Obi-Wan telling uh, Anakin, why do I get the feeling that you're going to be the death of me? It's like, oh, I get it. Because uh, he kills him. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, so that, that I could do without. Um, so... We haven't, you know, we haven't really touched on the plot. Everybody knows, like, the plots of these. Everyone who is, is listening to this is 
a fan of the Star Wars series. So that's why like we haven't really been going like beat for beat on what the plot is because I kind of want to talk about everything else that happened in the film that makes it uh, rewatchable or not watchable. So we'll do the same thing we did for episode one. What was your highlight and what was your low light? So we'll start with Chris this time. I got to say, in, in, um, in contrast to, to um, what you said there, uh, Patrick, I love that line. <laughs> Sorry, I just did. Because in, in my opinion, that's one of the funny ways you can deal with retroactive continuity. You could make a prescient in-joke like that. <laughs> and uh, that I could see where some would roll their eyes. But me, I'm notorious for laughing at things where most people roll their eyes at. So that's fair. me, it's me. So, yeah, I, I did like that stuff. I did like that aspect. Um, Count Dooku was pretty much uh, the high point other than that. The low point was the failed attempt at the, at the romance and a continuation of other retroactive continuity that is on the controversial side that we haven't talked about yet, like the mitochlorians. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> Misty, how about you? What's your, your high and low points? Um, high points. Um, um, Padme's wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really touch on that too much in the the f- no. first uh, or this one. So that was something that you and uh, Shelby were talking about. So, um, you know, as you said, that's one of your high points. Like, explain why that you you wanted to talk so much about the uh, the wardrobe. Well, as we know, she had many, many, many costume changes. I want to know where all her extra hair came from. Well, she had a very big wardrobe, which actually Leia ended up getting. I found out. Makes sense. So we, I don't think we ever saw her wear anything. But in, in in this film, it looked like she had like some of the best outfits. Like the picnic scene. That dress was just like so awesome. Even though it was a terrible scene. <laughs> it was a terrible scene. But the yellow flower dress was just so pretty. Yeah, young, young me uh, was more impressed with the uh the uh the white outfit that she ended up wearing towards the uh the latter third of the film speaking of her outfit some for some reason when the uh I forget the name of the creature I know one of them the the weird mantis looking thing is called an aclay the thing with the horns is called a reek and I forget what the weird tiger spider was supposed to be but uh when it slashes her across the back somehow reveals like her entire midriff like from just yeah. below her boobs down like all of a sudden her her stomach is exposed it's like and i even like i rewatched the scene a couple of times when i recently watched it the other day and i was like he slashes the back but now her stomach what see at the time you know when I, i'm 21 watching this i'm like nice but now i'm like <laughs> that doesn't make any goddamn sense like why would she suddenly like like, because we don't see anything, we don't see her like tear it off, or we don't see it like hanging in shreds. Like, we yeah, see the slash, and then they show the front of her, and it's like, oh, look at my abs. Like, that's about it. And yeah. then, like, that's just how she's dressed. She get, never gets any medical attention either, nope. which bothers the shit out of me because she got slashed by this giant monster, including on her arm. Then she leaps from the, the top of this pole, dislocates both shoulders, I'm sure. Swings around, fights, then proceeds to fight the whole time. Then falls hundreds of feet out of a, a vehicle that's moving, got to be hundreds of miles an hour. 
And then she's just they're like, oh, you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I was mauled by a tiger and dislocated both of my shoulders and then just fell hundreds of feet out of, a, uh, out of an airplane. I'm good to go. Let's jog. So that so that's probably my low point. He wasn't the chosen one. But uh, I will. Uh, uh, I'll go back. I just I got off on a tangent, which I can do because it's my show. So uh, yeah, go back to her uh, her outfits as you were uh, discussing, like some of the stuff from the first one to the second. Because the first one was all like these ugly gowns, you know, you know, with assholes and the weird hair. But that that was when she was a queen. When she's just a senator, she doesn't wear such elaborate headpieces. Right. Right. I mean, she had all these fancy nightgowns, and but they're pretty. Because we did <laughs> see the fancy uh, leather dress. We did see. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but we do. We do see. I think that's just the way the the queen's supposed to dress. Because we see the subsequent queens, uh, like Keisha Castle Hughes in the third one at her funeral, is wearing this weird elaborate headdress. Yes. With like the white face, and. Funny story about that, where you know you can never tell when she's the queen and when she's the decoy in the first film. It's her and Kira Knightley. So when one of them is the queen, the other one is Padme. And when when they were in makeup and in costume, their mothers couldn't tell them apart. So yeah, Kira Knightley was uh, her body double. So whenever you like in that last scene when the Gungans she comes forward, she's like, "Oh, I'm I'm the real queen," you know. Kira Knightley is. I mean, they do look very similar, you know. And then now she's a pirate of the Caribbean. So yeah, I'm sorry. Go go ahead. There's probably about thirty outfits. I think that she had at least. That seems that seems high. Like I don't remember her being in thirty scenes. But she had her wedding dress. She had like the picnic dress, like you were saying. She had the the hovering pear dress. Like every time you saw her, she was wearing something different. Right. And then there were some dresses that they changed around a little bit and then she wore them again. I mean, when you have a huge budget like that, I mean, Lucas got $400 million just for the toys in episode one, like just the merchandising rights. Like that was before yeah. the movie came out. He got 400 million for that. So, Hey, you know, they have a, a very high wardrobe budget. Yeah, they did. They really did because of the materials that they used was like velvet and leather and all different types of materials. Vogue had an article when the movie came out. Vogue had an article where they had a model wearing like ten of of different outfits and just showing them off. I would not agree to that. Yeah. And then there are all the maternity dresses in the third movie. Yeah, we'll but we'll get to that. I just a wanted bit. to bring it up a little bit. It's it's nothing, you know, major. Yeah, I mean, it's. Oh, it's I, a... found, I found the tattoo, that that dress, that outfit, the jumpsuit. It had a cloak originally. Yes, like she was a superhero. Yeah, and she lost the cloak, and then it got ripped. So, is that? Would you say the uh, the outfits were your highlight, or did you have a different highlight and low light? Um. Um, the outfits were highlighted. Um, I also, you know, like I liked enjoy. I enjoyed Count Dooku. I enjoyed seeing him in the movie and his character. Low point is again Jar Jar. <laughs> I also I did want to ask you about something I wanted to bring up though. Okay. Um, the line. I have a bad feeling about this. It comes up so many times in the series. It's a running gag. It's supposed to be. It got taken out of context and started being overused because it's supposed to be 
people who are not force sensitive having a an intuitive feeling that like something's not right. Like we see, uh, it's uh, Han uses it, and yeah, Han Leia uses it. uses it. But then we see like everyone with force powers using it. Like it just. If you have force powers, you're like, hmm, I don't have a good feeling about this. It's like, yeah, because you're in tune with the force and you know that there's some crazy shit going on. Like, yeah, it's just one of those, like, running gags. Shelby, what were your high and low points? Um, definitely the highs for me was the Yoda and Dooku battle. Just because I'm like, it was just so epic to see them not only fight with lightsabers, but throwing objects at each other as well, while trying to, like, balance on, like, this debris... I was just like, it was so intense. And then I know um, another small thing I really liked was uh, the arena scene. When it was like a wide focus shot, it was actually like a 3D model they had like built themselves. So I really thought that was cool with like, I think it, they did that with uh, the first episode as well, where the both arena scenes like they had made, they actually made the arena scene. So that wasn't CGI. That was something they actually made. Yeah, from what I understand, the people in the crowd were just differently painted Q-tips that they put in the episode one in the pod racing scene. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously when it was like, uh, oh my gosh, when it was like you actually were able to see the crowd, and then they actually had to like pretty much copy and paste like a small section of like the crowd. They made like a small section of the crowd and pretty much just copied and pasted it everywhere mm-hmm. to just make it look like it was a wider crowd. But um, the low point for me was definitely something you had already touched on, which is some of the physics in this film just did not make sense to me. Like, two particular things that happened when Anakin was trying to woo Padme was one, when the picnic scene when he was standing on top of that beast. He pretty much is standing towards the front of it and then does this weird front flip into the grass. Like, the physics of that is super off and wonky that I didn't understand that. And then the other one is uh, when he slices the pear with the force and stuff like that. One, it was already creepy. And two, like, when she's, like, holding her fork out to, like, grab it, it, it's like the pear's, like, sitting almost, like, completely level with the fork. So it looks super weird. Mm -hmm. And if you watch her actually go to eat it, because she's just eating air, actually, and then they CGI'd it in. It looks like she's literally just inhaling a piece of pear. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, it's just, I hate wonky effects, especially when you have a budget like that. Like, you are, yeah, you have so much money, and you have all the, like, ILM and, and you know, Skywalker Ranch at your, literally at your disposal. It is yours. And you can't get everything, you know, like, I'm like, yeah, but think about the time where, you know, it, you know, when it came out and it's like, okay, Jurassic Park came out 12 years prior and the abyss came out 16 years prior. Terminator two came out 14 years prior, all better effects. So don't give me that. It's a product of its time. Uh, and like a lot of small things they did do in it, like in the, that pear scene, like, the reflection of all the glass, like, all the glass, like, silverware and cutlery and stuff they have in there, they show, like, the reflection and the distortion, like, panning over, mm-hmm. like, 
their clothes and stuff like that, and then you just make her eating the pear look super weird. Like, she looks like a vacuum just inhaling it. It's this lack of de- attention to detail and the perceived laziness. Chris, how about you? High and low points. I would say my my high point, definitely, um, I think uh, between Count Dooku and the arena battle, definitely love the arena battle and how um, Anakin made use of the of the rhino-like creature. I forgot which name you said. Because Reek. Okay. Um, Reek. No, an R. Okay. Misremember the last letter appearing is first. But I thought that was cool how he made use of that. It was probably the only herbivore among the three of them. That's the impression I got. It didn't seem like its, its heart or its temper was really into it. It was just scared and, you know, all this stuff going on. And so Anakin could make use of it that way. And, you know, low point, we didn't get, thankfully, enough of Jar Jar to really get on my nerve this time. So it sounds like uh, George Lucas listened to the fans a bit. Um, but basic low point had to be the relationship thing with, uh, or the attempt at it's with, between um, our two main protagonists. Yeah, I, I will uh, I will give an honorable mention to the uh, the attempted and forced uh, relationship between those two characters. Uh, but I, I think my low point is definitely what I was talking about, how Padme's wardrobe changed and not, like, in an intended way, and then how she can sustain all these injuries and just, like, walk it off. Like, she's perfectly fine. Like, there's no problem, especially when it comes to her ultimate fate in the third film. It's like, you just went all through all of that, and this is how you go out, like... But my high point, uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. The battle on Geonosis. I, w- I do want to say another low point, and Chris, I know that this is uh, the type of thing that you would say, like to kind of mock the film while they're while they're doing it. And I don't know how the dialogue got actually into it. Uh, when C-3PO gets uh, kind of taken apart, and like his head goes on a, a battle droid body, and the oh, yeah. the battle droid head <laughs> goes on his body, and you know. He gets knocked down by Kit Fisto, and R2 comes over and pulls his head off, and he's like, oh, this is such a drag. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then he drags his head over to his body, and he's like, I'm quite beside myself. It's like, Anthony Daniels, have some fucking pride. Like, you are the only guy with a spoken line through all nine movies, and this is how you're being treated? Like, this is the shit they have you saying? Like, That's that... Ordering. That whole scene in the factory was awful. It was so bad. So that's up there with me, even though it was, you know, and especially where it ends with like, I promised myself I would never fall in love with you. No, or like, oh, because I love you. I thought we agreed not to fall in love. Oh, no, you're just reading the shitty dialogue that George wrote for you. It's like, oh, my God, this is so bad. So like that whole thing, that was awful, even though it led into that amazing Geonosis battle. Obviously, seeing frail Yoda, who spent most of the movie in his little hover chair, you know, going all over the place, and you see him barely able to move, and all of a sudden he just starts flipping and jumping and doing all these crazy fight scenes with uh, with Dooku. Like, that was incredible. Especially after Dooku's like, oh, two guys. Well, let me just whoop the shit out of both of you guys with zero difficulty. Uh, getting to see... Ooh, pardon me. Getting to see... Uh, Mace Windu versus uh oh there's a puppy. Mace Windu versus uh Django. So Django gets to fight two guys and 
He should have quit while he was ahead, eh, Chris? Oh, another pun. Oh, that's you're, you're stealing my thunder there, Patrick. Well, and that was a good one too. I still think that had they made one scene slightly different, it would have been the absolute highlight of the entire series. When Boba sees the helmet flopping around, if when he picked that up, his dad's head fell out of the helmet. Aww. That would have been the number one scene in like the entire <laughs> nonology. That would have been that would have been it for me. I would have been like, "Yep, this is the best." I don't need to see any other film. This is just the best thing ever. All right, so we now are going to move on to talk about... Actually, no, I'm sorry. We need to talk about, do you recommend this? Obviously, you know, if you're a purist or a completionist, you have to watch this film. But do you recommend this? uh, And where do you... Yeah, we'll say this, uh, because we already said that episode one is the weakest of 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 the trilogy. Where would you rank episode two... In all of these, uh, this no, the nine move well eight of because we haven't seen the ninth one yet. Where would you, uh, where would you rank this? And um, Misty, we'll start with you. The second worst. <laughs> okay, uh, Shelby. Um, I kind of agree. I definitely think that the trilogy for me. I think like in order one, two, three, it goes from worst to best for me. <laughs> That's fair, uh, Chris. I thought in general. It was pretty good as far as Star Wars movies goes. I mean, certainly better than the first one, which is good. I'm glad it went uphill rather than down. Um, We didn't get the usual, um, what do they call it with movies? A case of diminishing returns? Yes. But, um, yeah, was it, I thought it was pretty decent. It was, uh, you know, I I think on episode... In terms of an episode seven to nine, that's a whole other discussion. But, you know, it had its own set of problems and strong points, in my opinion. But in in terms of uh, the entire eight movies I've seen so far, I would say with um, with one to eight, eight, um, in terms of one to eight, with eight being the highest, I would say I would give it as as far up as a four or five. Well, that's pretty good. It is pretty good. All right. Uh, For me... Um, I, I, I agree that this is of the three, it kind of goes in order because Revenge of the Sith is the best of this prequel trilogy for uh, a lot of reasons, but it's, it's closer than you might think. And I think this is better than, uh, it's definitely better than, uh, The Last Jedi because I think The Last Jedi is tied with episode one for the worst for me. So I would I would put this fairly high up as well, probably around four or five, like Chris. So now we are going to move on and we're going to discuss episode three, the Revenge of the Sith. Now, if any of you uh, folks are aware, the original title for episode six was going to be the Revenge of the Jedi, until they kind of thought about it and they're like, no, a Jedi doesn't seek revenge. Although I do have a poster of. That says Revenge of the Jedi, and I'm very happy oh, cool. about that. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, I found it when I was, uh, it's a wooden poster, and it was when I was working at Target, and I found it, and I was like, oh, I'm going to hide this in the back so I can buy it at the end of my shift. Because <laughs> um, it was only one. So let's, uh, here is the trailer for episode three. Again, proof for all audiences. The 
dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. The Council wants you to report on all the Chancellor's dealings. That's treason. We are at war, Anakin. Very dangerous putting them together. I don't think the boy can handle it. I don't trust him. I need your help, son. I'm appointing you to be my personal representative on the Jedi Council. You're on this council, but we do not grant you the rank of master. What? Obi-Wan and the council don't trust me. Learn to know the dark side of the Force, and you will achieve a power greater than any Jedi. You're under arrest, Chancellor. Are you threatening me, Master Jedi? is now an enemy of the Republic. Do what must be done. Do not hesitate. Show no mercy. Who could have done this? Twisted by the dark side, young Skywalker has become. I feel so helpless. So, that definitely had a lot more of a scary horror vibe than a fun-loving, exciting adventure vibe that the previous two had. And for good reason. I do believe, and unless you count Ewoks, this is the first to uh, openly discuss child murder, uh, even though they don't use the word child. They use a different word. So, same question as we had for the other two. When you first saw this trailer... Knowing what you knew coming into this, what did you guys think about the opportunity that this film was going to present for the the series? I'll start with Misty. An answer to everything I wanted to know about about Star Wars. It just looked amazing. And uh, Shelby, how about you? Because again, you're watching this without seeing any of the uh, trilogy. So actually, prior to seeing the movies, I hadn't watched the trailers so this was my first time actually watching the trailer and i'm sitting here watching it and i'm like it pretty much sums up the entire movie instead of just giving kind of like little spoilers not like spoilers but giving like teasers here and there i feel like it gave almost too much in that trailer yeah i uh i agree with you on that part chris how about you what was your uh, impression seeing the trailer well, with their trailer, I have to start with them pointing this out. They gave us two um, quick I-just-had-to scenes to make us think there might be more to the movie than there was. Like, f- first one, they had to show Chewbacca, mm-hmm. even though he, 
He just had that very brief role as one of those two Wookiees who helped Yoda escape. And um, even though it was clear it was Chewbacca because Yoda called his name, it didn't have to be Chewbacca. You know what I'm saying? It could have just been another random Wookiee warrior. And the other one was at the very end, we had to see Darth Vader in his armor, even though it wasn't until the very end of the, of the movie. It's more fan service. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. Because we were on Kashyyyk. We were seeing all of the 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 various uh, Wookiees. You know, the other one that is in that scene is named Tarful. And we've seen Wookiees before, you know, the Star Wars holiday special where we were introduced to Boba Fett. So, you know, we are... I want to remember that. Yeah. Well, if you're watching The Mandalorian, you're kind of forced to. But, you know, when I'm I'm watching this trailer, you know, for the first time, I'm I'm like, wow, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to see the real Darth Vader Obi-Wan Kenobi fight that I've always wanted to see because a, a guy who can barely move against a super old man whose powers are diminished. Yeah, that was exciting. It just it wasn't it, it didn't do it for me in episode four. But this was this is my favorite lightsaber battle like it eclipsed the yoda dooku battle for me there was a lot of nonsensical stuff in this as well uh, which i'm sure we're going to touch on but it also it it gives us another new and interesting character and kills him off just as quickly uh general grievous who i thought was an awesome character and they really gave him his due in the animated clone wars series where we see him, uh, it's Kiadi Mundi and Shakti are two of the Jedi that are in there that you know are on the council. But there's a, a half dozen. There's an Athorian, like the weird hammerhead looking guys, with the heads that kind of like they look like hammerhead sharks, but like they're long. It, it's uh, it's hard to describe. But they have like two eyes on the on either side of their head, and it looks like almost like a flatworm is like the way his head looks. Those are Athorians. And so he, there's one of him. There's a regular guy who looks a lot like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, and his name is actually Shaggy, which it's like, oh, oh, that's funny. And Grievous just smokes five or six Jedi. And not only does he defeat them, like he outmaneuvers them with his droid army, and you see like just what a badass he really is. Which is what this cartoon really did. Like, we see a scene with Mace Windu where he's taking on thousands of battle droids. And at one point, he loses his lightsaber and still just beats everyone's ass. Like, just punching and kicking and using the force. It's unbelievable, like, how cool they made these characters look in the regular animated style as opposed to the computer animated style. Because they still made General Grievous look like a fucking chump. And I hated that they did that to him because he was one of the coolest characters. And if you saw some of the expanded stuff, you're like, oh, my God, why did they do this to him? He's so cool. Um, so we see that's the opening scene. We see him. Uh, he is kidnapped uh, uh, Palpatine. He's kidnapped the Chancellor. And so everyone's got to go save him. Well, I say everyone. It's Obi-Wan and, and Anakin because they couldn't possibly send anyone else. It has to be those two guys all the time, which is an issue for me, but whatever. It, it's not like they have like way more powerful Jedi that could have taken over and taken care of this. But we do get to see uh, a highlight of Anakin's piloting skills and how talented he is behind the uh, the wheel of a, a starship. 
doesn't matter what size or what it is. Like he's just an incredible pilot, and that's just uh, I think partly due to his innate connection to the Force, which kind of sets up like how good he was and how how he could have possibly survived at the end of Episode Four when he gets blown out into space. We get to see some really cool uh, some li- really cool lightsaber duel again. Uh, Obi Wan gets his ass kicked really quick because he's not nearly as powerful a Jedi as. You know, any of these other main protagonists, he's probably like the low man on the totem pole from everyone that we, you know, Mace Windu and Anakin and Yoda and Shakti and, and Kiati Mundi and Plo Koon and Kit Fisto. Like he's at the bottom, like he just tries really hard and he's got a really good uh, connection to the force, even though it might not be as strong as Yoda's or Mace Windu's, but like he interprets it and goes along with it. Like his swordsmanship isn't that great, but like. He takes advantage of anyone else's mistakes. He's really good in that sense. But Dooku doesn't really make mistakes because as a swordsman, he is on the same level as Yoda or uh, Mace Windu. And we saw what he did against Yoda. And Yoda's the the grand master. He is the best swordsman in all of the Jedi Council. Like He is just the best. Mace Windu shortly behind or close behind him having even developed his own lightsaber style that uh, heavily relies on drawing energy from the dark side of the Force to uh, aid in his attacks, which Yoda would never use. Uh, We kind of see this... um, This is a little bit off-topic, but we see... uh, It's a book called Dark Rendezvous, where Dooku tries to convince Yoda to join him. You know, he already tried with Obi-Wan. Now he's like, well, let me see if I can get Yoda to come onto my side and be a, a... a Sith Lord and Yoda kind of gives in just for a second to kind of show Dooku what he would be like as a Sith Lord. And Dooku essentially shits his pants because he's like, Oh my God, I have made a huge miscalculation because Yoda would not only be way more powerful than Palpatine, but he would just be like, it's just like the scariest, most terrifying thing that he could possibly imagine. Then it just goes right back to the light side of the forest. And he's like, yeah, so uh, any other questions, you dick? So <laughs> we and Yoda is the one who trained Dooku. That's kind of like what I'm getting at. So we see how how talented Dooku is as a swordsman easily dispatches Obi-Wan and like drops a platform on him and then battles uh, Anakin you know they they fight fairly well, and if you know uh, Dooku is forty or fifty years younger, uh, I don't think it's a, nearly as close a fight as as it ends up being. And we see Anakin decapitate Dooku at the behest of Palpatine, who is clearly using his dark side energy to influence him, because his voice even changes when he's like, "Do it," and he's like, "Oh, it's only natural." You know, he took your arm. You took his head off. You know, it's it's like, oh, they sent one of ours to the hospital. We'll send one of theirs to the morgue. You know, like that type of mentality. And he took two of his hands before that. Yeah, he cut off yeah. both of his hands with one nice move. And he's like, ha-ha, I have disarmed you. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> Very punny. Oh, well, I mean, that's what I do. You know that, Chris. So, yeah, he... Uh, He's like, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I was, you know, he was beaten. He he was unarmed. Like, he had no weapon. Like, there was no way he was going to fight back. You know, so I shouldn't have done that. And he's like, oh, you know, it's just like when you gave in to your, your hate when you killed all the sand people. Remember when you told me about that? Which, that struck me the first time I saw it. I'm like, 
why is he telling this asshole about it? Like, he's not a Jedi. He's not on the council. You know, but we do, again, uh, going back to, because I can't believe I forgot to mention this, going back to the whole retroactive continuity thing, where at the end of the first episode, where he's like, oh, you know, he looks at Anakin. He goes, we'll be watching your career with great interest. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, because he's the Emperor. Yeah, oh, I get it. And he's Darth Vader, but he's just little. <laughs> and there's some there's some heavy-handed foreshadowing. I, an, another one of those things is right before in Episode 2 where he uh, Anakin goes off to kill uh, all the Sand people, like, they kind of do a close-up of his shadow, and his silhouette looks an awful lot like Vader's helmet. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, because yeah, you did the thing with the poster with Episode 1, and you made little Anakin's shadow be Darth Vader. Oh, that's so clever. Oh, that was great. That poster was awesome, haunting and awesome. That was cool, but when they did it with the second movie, it's like, okay, we get it. He's Darth Vader. Like, it was clever the first time. Now you're just like, it's like... You're beating a dead horse. Like, we know, I guess it's to symbolize, like, he's about to go do something rather bad, so we got to make sure you know he's Darth Vader in case you're just jumping into episode two, which, why would anyone just jump into episode two not knowing? Like, hey, you know, I haven't seen, uh, you know, the first three of these, so let me just jump into the fifth one. <sighs> but your thoughts on this entire interaction with, as we see Anakin, who is easily manipulated because he's hearing things that he wants to hear. When, you know, we discussed this for episode two, he's very hard-headed when it comes to the Jedi telling him things like, don't use your powers so much, don't go off and be crazy, don't give in to your hate and your anger, you know, you have to be better than that. And Palpatine's like, yeah, dude, cut that fucking guy's head off, like, just chop him up. You chopped his hands off, you might as well just keep going. Like, let's pry out his fillings so no one can identify the body. Let's go. Let's, you know, see if he... Rifle through his pockets for change, like... Might as well rob him while we're killing him. Like, it's like, just let's see what we can do to this guy. And he's like, oh, man, I totally should have done that. No, 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 you're good. All right, thanks. Yeah, well, yeah, I feel better now. So when you guys saw this the first time, and again, I'll start with Shelby because this is your first you know, experience, these, these films with these characters. What did you think of that scene? And then the way he turns around is like, oh, well, I got to bring Obi-Wan with me. He's like... He's he's like my dad, so I can't just leave him here. And Palpatine's like, no, 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 leave him. We'll never make it. Like, just leave him. Let him die. And he's like, no, no, no. I haven't cut his hands off yet. So, like, it'll look suspicious if we leave him here, too. So, Shelby, what did you think when you saw this? Um, So, kind of touching on what I had said when we were talking about episode two, it's kind of the same thing where Obi-Wan is almost kind of, like, beating down Anakin. It was almost like oh no, like, you're not good enough yet, like, you can't do this or that, where, on the other hand, Palpatine is almost, like, stroking his ego and telling him, you're the best, you are stronger than any of them. So I think what tends to happen in this is because Obi-Wan is almost kind of like, I mean, he almost, like, he didn't even want to train Anakin. I mean, he was still almost a novice himself. So, I, like I had said before, like, he almost was kind of in competition with Anakin. And so, was kind of, like, beating him down almost to make it seem like he was the superior one out of them. Even though he very well knew how powerful Anakin was. And so, Anakin kind of went to Palpatine, like, oh, he's telling me I'm doing all these great things and how good I am. So, I think he was seeking that, like, confidence. Like 
yeah, approval and confidence in him. So almost Obi-Wan was pushing him away and Palpatine was just welcoming him with open arms. To, uh, to, as you were saying that, a, a thought struck me because we didn't cover it in the second one. During the battle with Dooku, he's so headstrong. Like he, uh, Anakin had mentioned, he's like, you know, at the uh, Obi-Wan tells Anakin at the beginning of the first, he's like, if you had spent as much time with, you know, on your swordsmanship as you did with, you know, all this other stuff, like you'd be, you'd rival Master Yoda. He's like, oh, I thought I already did. And then we see that come around later on in the film when they confront Dooku. He's like, okay, let's, we'll go at him together. And he had even told him after Padme falls out of the, the transport, Anakin's like, put the, put the ship down. And he's like, no, we have to go get Dooku and I can't do it by myself. I need your help. I can't do it without you. And then they go to confront him and they're like, all right, we'll do this together. It's like, no, I'm going to do it by myself. And he gets electrocuted and smashed into a wall. So it's like, (laughs) and so at the beginning of this fight, they're like, this time we should attack together. And he's like, I was just about to say the same thing. It's like, yeah, because you don't want to get electrocuted and smash into a wall and get one of your arms cut off. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like, I think that's the reason why he brings Obi-Wan with him because he's like, yeah, you know, he's kind of a dick sometimes, but he's also got my best interests. And you just tell me everything I want to hear, so I want to go with you. Uh, Misty, what was your take on that on that scene and the interactions that he has, uh, not only with Dooku, but with uh, Palpatine and Obi-Wan in that scene? Well, he was obviously being manipulated by, you know, by Palpatine, and he was using the Force on him. So, I mean, he had no way to resist it. See, I disagree. I, I, think, I think he could have resisted. I just think he didn't want to. Because it's very difficult to use your force abilities on another force user overtly and have them do what you want them to do. Like, it's very rare that you can do that. I think Anakin allowed himself, because it's like, he's just telling me what I want to hear. And, you know, he's reassuring me that everything that I do is fine. But he's also a bad guy, so maybe he's manipulating. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. He... He manipulated. I I didn't want to, but like he's he's like the top bad guy. What am I supposed to do? Go against his wishes? So I think there's an element of that. So like what you were saying, it's it's like that. But like I think Anakin, if he wanted to, could have resisted. Uh, did you have anything oh, yeah, else sure. you wanted to add on to that? Chosen one. He's probably stronger. Well, he and palpatine even says that at the end of the of the movie he's like darth vader shall become more powerful than either of us talking to yoda which is you know a highest compliment and they even say that he's got a higher midichlorian count than yoda in the first movie uh did you have anything else you wanted to add on to that okay well they never mentioned the midichlorians ever again yeah and you also notice that there's very little jar jar for the the second and third movie too so george kind of listened I mean, and if you're going to replace Jar Jar Binks with Count Dooku, I am all for it. All for it. Oh, yeah. Even at the expense of Darth Maul. Chris, how about you? Your uh, your feelings on this scene? I also saw Duke, not Duke, I mean, I'm Palpatine as a master manipulator. And I think in order that showed in order to become a Sith Lord, you have to have that ability. Because Darth Vader in Episode 5 was trying to do the same thing with uh, with Luke during their first lightsaber battle you know it seems like there his words are as much a weapon as that electricity he throws in the lightsaber he you know that manipulative ability and 
It seems like, honestly, that's why he went into politics, because we could manipulate literally millions of people that way from that pulpit. So that scene, I think, really highlighted what our... Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's my puppy. That's okay. Or her. It's uh. It was, it showed um, Palpatine as the master manipulator he was, and that um, the problem with uh, Obi-Wan, I'm not saying he should tell his uh, apprentice what um, he wants to hear, but as you and um, and Misty and Shelby noted before, he's, in some way, he's too much with the tough love. I don't think Qui-Gon was like that with him. So I think there was a good contrast we saw with Qui-Gon from the from episode one he's he was a more understanding mentor i think and and sometimes you had to wonder was there some truth to what uh anakin thought that maybe um obi-wan if not trying to hold him back trying to stop him from going too far too quick or progressing too far too quick that's entirely possible if you but it's the same with anything like if you uh we see it with uh professional sports all the time if you are you know a poor kid and all of a sudden you get this huge amount of money you don't know how to handle that the same thing would be if you are suddenly capable of you know you skip over and again like we mentioned with episode two if you skip this type of like peer bonding and relationship building with you know people your own age you don't really know how to to act around them and that's you know what we were saying was the the issue with the relationship between Padme and Anakin because he didn't know how to do that. And all of a sudden he's like thrust back into this position. He's got raging hormones and he sees this beautiful woman and he's all of a sudden like, Oh, Hey, I remember me. Look how tall I am. I have a lightsaber now too. watch me move pairs with my mind. But I think, um, what you said and kind of what I said, kind of touch on each other. Oh, that goes <laughs> Shelby's headset. The dog took the headset away. Um, like I was saying about, how difficult it is to manipulate someone in the force. Like you said, Vader tried his damnedest to get Luke to come over to the dark, the dark side. And Luke really had no formal training other than stacking rocks with his mind and doing backflips with Yoda as a backpack. Like that was essentially his, the limit of his training. Meanwhile, Vader's been a Sith Lord for 20 years or so. And he's unable to convince this untrained kid to co- and it's like, hey, I'm your dad. You should be on my team. And he's like, nah, dog. No, I ain't going to do that. But like Anakin is the chosen one and has the highest midichlorian count ever. And he's easily duped by the Emperor. You know, I, again, I think you have to allow that to happen a little bit. So we now, now they're, uh, they're, they saved Palpatine. They have a brief scuffle with uh, Grievous and his battle droids. There's a couple of insults passed around, you know, Grievous telling Anakin that he he expected someone with his reputation to be older, and Anakin responding by saying that he thought General Grievous would be taller, and even though he's, like, nine feet tall, he's just kind of being, like, an insolent dick. And then, you know, he escapes, uh, uh, Grievous escapes, fires all of the escape pods, like, just a jerk. That's such a dick move. And uh, Anakin is able to somehow safely land half of a ship because of his uh, incredible piloting skills. He has this huge, huge, like, warship, you know, not like a little one-person starfighter like they'd been, you know, zipping around in earlier. Now he's got this huge—it's like going from a a smart car 
to like oil tanker, you know, and and learning that on the fly. Like you drive your your you park your smart car on the oil tanker, and then you have to navigate half of this oil tanker back to shore. So I thought it was uh, incredibly. Uh, indicative of how good of a pilot he is. And uh, then, of course, we see him and some truly god-awful, maybe the worst the worst dialogue between him and Padme, and maybe the worst acting in the entire series, where they, uh, you know, she tells him that they're pregnant, and he's like, oh, this is, like, I guess you could kind of look at it like, oh, I didn't mean to get you pregnant, but, I mean, we're married, so, like, whatever. You know, we do sex at each other. That's, you know, something that happens, so whatever. But, yeah, oh, no, I'm I'm totally happy. This is great. And then he sees her brushing her hair in the moonlight in another scene, and, she's just, and he's just staring at her. He's like, oh, you're so beautiful. And she's like, oh, love has blinded you? He's like, oh, it's because... I'm so in love with you. And she's like, no, it's because you love me so much. And that's because I love you. And it's like, oh, my fucking God, can we skip this? It's like, I'm Darth Vader, Lord of the Sith. Look at my girlfriend. She's so pretty. I killed children. Look at this. Look at she's brushing her hair. Isn't that so nice? It's like, oh, my God. So we see Anakin slowly descending into madness as, as things progress. And... Palpatine obviously is is helping him right along because, in addition to being able to mask his presence, despite the, you know, abundance of Sith artifacts out on display in his office, and everyone saying like, "Hey, there's a Sith Lord in the Senate." Like we, Dooku says this to Obi Wan, and Obi Wan tells all his friends in the second movie. They already knew that there are. It's always two Sith, and one of them got killed, and now there's another one. And it's like, hey, there's a Sith in the Senate, just letting you know. Oh, well, this guy, surely, who somehow got himself emergency Supreme Chancellor powers, yeah, he can't possibly be the Sith Lord. It's like, yeah, doesn't he have, like, a Sith vase and a Sith statue in his office? No, I'm pretty sure that's uh, that's uh, Greek, so don't worry about it. They often get confused for each other. Then you have him. They're like, oh, we don't really trust him and Anakin. We should have Anakin spy on him, but we don't want them together, so let's put them together. That, to me, was one of the most nonsensical aspects of the entire plot. You know, you get all these super high-end Jedi, like Mace Windu and Yoda, and they're like, yeah, so we should let everyone in the Senate know that our ability to use the Force has been diminished. It's like, yeah, great plan. And then nothing ever comes of that. We want you to spy on him, but we don't like the fact that you're hanging out together. That, to me, made zero sense. So when you guys are watching Palpatine talk about, you know, it's like, you know what? You know how your wife is pregnant, like, that nobody knows you're married or that she's pregnant? I had this buddy. Like, we went to high school together, and, like, he could stop people from dying. Did you know that? Like, that's really cool, right? So, like, (laughs) that whole scene where he's, like, manipulating him, first of all, Ian McDiarmid best acting of the entire series goes to him in this movie the way like even just watching the trailer like how menacing and frightening he is like there are a few guys that are like you know older gentlemen but still have that menacing presence about him tim curry um christopher lee obviously anthony hopkins they just have that disarming charm but then at the same time they are just very intimidating and frightening so as he's telling him this whole story, it's like, oh, you know, 
Just saying, this might be interesting to you, and uh, you know, and he's hitting on every single like fear and and emotion that Anakin has. When you guys are watching this, are you like, okay, this is it? What did you think? Like, so he's going to turn to the dark side, like this whole build up, like all we've ever heard of this, you know, super powerful, terrifying, unstoppable murder monster. He's doing this for his girlfriend or his wife. I guess that makes sense. Like that's, you know, like the, the depth of love and, and commitment you have to your spouse. I mean, like I would totally do it for ashes. Like I'm just saying, but <clears throat> we already know so much about him. Like, did you think that this felt like way out of place? And again, Shelby, I'm going to start with you because this was your, your first experience. Uh, when you were watching this, were you like, okay, that makes sense. Or did you have other thoughts and feelings on his uh, eventual turn? Um, For me, I could kind of definitely see why it made sense. Because obviously in the second movie, his mom did die. And that was his only like family figure he had growing up. And then obviously he was stripped away from her to go study with the Jedi. And then pretty much found out that she had this whole other life and everything and then ended up dying. And so I feel like that was one of his biggest fears, was losing someone else that he loved. And there obviously was very few people in his life that he cared about, since he wasn't really able to develop those bonds with people and kind of didn't know how to develop those social cues. So I definitely think once he finally seduced Padme and was able to like lock it down. He's like, okay, I, I really can't lose her either. So I definitely think Palpatine kind of picked up on that, especially because I think Anakin was confiding in Palpatine, obviously about various different things. So I think he definitely was able to pick up on those fears. And I think he was trying to manipulate those fears, obviously by saying, Hey, like, you know how your mom died? Do you not want that to happen to your wife? So, like, that type of thing. So I definitely think it kind of did make sense to me, but I definitely can kind of see why it didn't make sense for other people. So, Chris, I'm going to go to you next. Um, You know, obviously, same question. When you saw this and you saw this kind of unfolding, I don't want to jump too far ahead of this particular scene because there's a specific aspect I want to talk about uh, later on with with a different confrontation. But... What were your initial thoughts and feelings? And then upon the rewatch, did you kind of expand upon those feelings or did you change a little bit? Uh, What did you think? Oh, I would say I expanded because at first I was thinking, you know, along the lines, um, maybe he he was partly blinded by love, which he was. But on the second time seeing it, you know, not just the second, but the most recent rewatch, um, I I have no doubt he loved Padme and his soon-to-be-born child, which turned out to be twins, but I couldn't help wondering, was saying he did it for them a self-deception? Was he really just doing it for himself? And that's how he justified it. It was a similar thing in seeing the situation with Walter White in Breaking Bad. He told himself all through the series he was doing it for his wife and his son, you know, and their newborn. And I, there was no doubt he loved them, but at least in the, in the, in the series finale, he finally admitted to his, uh, you know, his wife, I did it for myself. I could see that too. Misty, what do you think? I think he really did it for Padme. I, I believe him. I'm a romantic and 
Anakin really did love her. See, I I agree that he loved her in his own way. I agree that uh, you know he he was doing it for her. But I think what he thought was love, like I think he misinterpreted infatuation and uh, lust for love. I don't think he ever was able to really build on what love actually is because again he had such a stunted emotional growth so i don't think he was really capable of truly loving someone in a way that you need to in order to maintain a healthy relationship because we see him do so many weird things so when palpatine eventually comes out to him and says yeah i'm a sith lord like i can teach you how to do all this stuff like he's like, well, how do you know the force? It's like, okay, first of all, put two and two together, Anakin. Jesus fucking Christ! Like, dude's been reading your mind and influencing your actions for a decade and a half. Like, come the fuck on! <laughs> so he's like, yep, I'm a Sith Lord. What are you gonna do about it? You could try and you could try and kill me. And he's like, I would like to. He's like, I know you can. Your anger gives you strength and helps you focus. And he's like. Almost getting off by how powerful Anakin's rage is making him. I have to go change my pants. Uh, and he's just like, he's like, well, I'm going to go tell on you. I'm going to tell all my friends. He's like, whatever, tell your friends. I don't give a fuck. So he goes and, and you know, they find out that Obi-Wan has finally defeated Grievous with the help of his lizard horse thing. Which we'll we'll get into a little bit because I want to circle back to Obi Wan's uh, story throughout this. He goes and tells Windu, and he's like, "Yeah, so that dude, like, he's the Sith Lord we've been looking for." And he's like, "Are you sure? Because we haven't sensed anything." The whole, oh shit, yeah, he's got all those Sith artifacts in his office. Shit, you know, and he had the Sith Weekly uh, magazine on his desk, and he was he had that shirt that says, "Hello, my mate, my my name is." Uh, Darth Sidious on his uh, on his lapel the other day, you know, when we had that big luncheon with uh, out at Coruscant. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of putting all the pieces together now. Like I'm realizing that he's actually a. You know what? You're right. You're right. That's. But you should stay here because like I'm gonna get like a bunch of dudes. I'm gonna get like a green squiggly dude. I'm gonna get a guy with horns on his head. I'm gonna get like a couple other guys that like don't even matter because you're just gonna get fucking smoked within seconds. Like and there's really no reason for them to even be on the council because they suck so much. But like, you stay here, we'll go take care of it. So they show up at his office, and they're like, "Hey, uh, Grievous is done, so I'm arresting you." And he's like, "No, I'm not gonna let you arrest me." And he like shoots the lightsaber up out of his hand, like leaps, screaming, impales one guy, slashes the other two. So now it's like Kit Fisto and. And uh, Mace Windu left, and he smokes Kit Fisto, which, again, if you watch the animated series, like, that dude used the Force to take down, like, all these fucking, like, giant things, and he's just so badass, and he goes out like a goddamn chump. Meanwhile, you have, I remember reading about this, because, like, we all kind of knew every pretty much everybody was going to die, because none of them are in the, the, the original trilogy, and... It's a 72-move, four-room fight scene between uh, Windu and Palpatine. And I think Palpatine, he's trying to put up a good fight for a while. And then he knows that. It's like, all right, I sense Anakin. But Windu is super badass. So, like, he's he can't really 
rely too much on his force powers saving him. So he's got to put everything, all this concentration into this. But, like, he senses Anakin. He's like, all right, Anakin's coming. I just need to, like, kind of extend this a little bit, make sure I'm in a vulnerable position when he comes in. And, you know, Anakin goes back and forth with Windu. It's like, we got to kill him. And he's like, no, we can't kill him. He needs to have a trial. It's like, oh, yeah, like, you gave a trial to Dooku, you dipshit. He's like, no, it's not the Jedi way. Again, you decapitated a guy with no hands. Throwing that out there, you hypocritical jerk. And so he ends up cutting off Windu's hand, and his lightsaber goes flying. And then Palpatine, who had been feigning weakness, is like, oh, I can't hold up much longer. Oh, please don't kill me. Unlimited power! And just, like, zaps the shit out of him and blows him into the, the fucking ether of, of Coruscant. Just launches him out the window. He's like, oh, yeah, now you can you can help me save my my wife so she doesn't die during childbirth. And he's like... Yeah, so only my master knew how to do that. Like, I'm sorry if you thought that I knew how to do that, because I never said that. Like, you just it, like inferred that I knew how to do it. I never actually said it. But I'm pretty sure that between the two of us, like, if we really, like, buckle down and study, we can figure this out. And at that point, Anakin's not like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, I did all this because you said you could help me save Padme. So she wouldn't die during childbirth. You knew all this. You have all these powers, and now you're telling me that you can't do it. But like, if we work, if we work hard, we can do it. He was deceived once again, and he's like, "All right, well, yeah, like let's let's work really hard together, and hopefully we can save her." When she do, uh, in like half an hour, really. Like I don't know how long it is in movie time, but it can't be more than a few hours, maybe a couple days, because she has to fly out to Mustafar. Did any of you guys find that odd that he was just like, "Oh, well." I guess he, I just made, like, a huge decision in life, and, like, I really just picked a side, and I killed a Jedi Master, or helped kill a Jedi Master. Uh, well, I, I guess I'm all in now, so. But did you think it, it was odd that it's like, oh, yeah, so about that thing that you're doing all of this for, I don't actually know how to do it. <laughs> and then Anakin wasn't immediately, like, pissed off and started fighting him. Uh, Misty, what did you think uh, about his reaction it was a little bit nonchalant, and he should have been a little more concerned. Chris? Well, Palpatine's the habit of being nonchalant. Remember when he admitted to, or where he finally let on through strong implication to Anakin that he was the Sith Lord, and Anakin had not even been fully converted yet? Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a risk he took there, so it didn't surprise me to see his nonchalance when it came to that. No, I meant I meant uh, Anakin's response to learning that everything that he had done, you know, in under the impression that, you know, Palpatine would be able to help him save his wife, not die in childbirth, you know. Oh, I mean, towards the one at the very end when he just said, after finally converting him to a cyborg and he said, it seems you killed her. No, no, no. Know, prior to that, like right at right oh. after they kill Mace Windu. You know, he looks at him and says, it's like, to cheat death is a power only one has achieved. But it's like, but I bet if we work together, we can discover the secret. Okay, I don't know how I got confused on that. But anyway, um... um and Anakin's like, I, yeah, I guess you're right. I, I guess Anakin finally become too far gone by that point, because he, he I, that was his point of no return, when he finally decided, you know, whose side do I take care? They're both on the precipice. And he decides to kill Mace Windu. I think he was just too far in it. I think at that point he 
felt he had to take everything Palpatine said on faith, even if he's kind of contradicting what he said before. It's still what he wanted to hear. Okay, maybe I can't really do it, but I bet we could learn. He just he needed to believe that. Shelby? Um, I definitely agree with what Chris was saying. Like, after Palpatine had said that, almost had that, like, realization, like, oh, crap. Like, did I just make the wrong choice? Like, did I really just defy the Jedi for nothing? And then, I mean, also Palpatine this whole time had been, like, stroking his ego and telling him how powerful he was. So he's like, well, if he can't do it, I sure should be able to since I'm far more powerful than him. So I think also that kind of played part into it. Like, he's like, okay, maybe he can't, but I definitely probably can. And at least if they work together, they're certainly going to be able to. Yeah. During this whole time, we we know that Obi-Wan has been off on uh, Utapau, is the name of the planet. And he is he has tracked down General Grievous, and he is in the midst of a fight. He loses his lightsaber. One of the clones ends up giving it back to him. But he goes on this crazy chase and ends up battling with uh grievous and grievous when he knows he's beat he tries to get away like that's just what he does although i don't know how he could have lost to obi-wan because obi-wan was like he had one lightsaber and and grievous like his arms come apart and he was just like spinning the lightsabers like a a freaking lawnmower blade and just advancing at him that was impressive that obi-wan was able to defeat him and then like you know they're running around all the clones are fighting all the robots and this is taking place very like concurrently with the scene in palpatine's office with mace windu because at the end you know he palpatine tells anakin go to the jedi temple kill all the jedi that are there and then he gets on his little holographic cell phone and he's like Execute Order 66, which, you know, he says, yeah, the Jedi just tried to overthrow the government, so we have to kill all of them. And so we see various Jedi. We see Adi Galea uh, on, uh, oh, what is the name of the, f- the flower planet? And I can't think of it now. But uh, Felucia, Felucia. Uh, we see her gunned down. We see Ki Adi Mundi on, like, the snow planet just get smoked by all the, all the uh, clone troopers. We see Plo Koon who is one of my favorite Jedi, get shot down, killed. They try to execute Yoda, but he does this cool backflip and decapitates two people. And again, the heads don't fall out of the helmet, which I was a little disappointed with. And uh, we see uh, just everybody around the galaxy, all the Jedi, just getting just getting taken out by the clones. Some of them survive. We don't Obviously, we don't see everyone. You know, there's no... There's no definitive proof that Yaddle, who is a female of Yoda species, we ne- we don't see any definitive proof that she dies. And several of the uh, Shock T actually gets killed by General Grievous at the beginning of the film in a deleted scene. But there's you know plenty uh, Luminara. Again, uh, if you watch Clone Wars, Ahsoka Tano, there's a lot that we don't see. But we do see uh, one of probably the darkest scene in all of Star Wars where Anakin walks into the little room where the, the little kids train. And then yeah. there's that one little kid. He's like, Master Skywalker, they're everywhere. What are we going to do? And he's like, I'm about to fuck up your day. And he just ignites his lightsaber in response to the kid's question. And it's like, yep, smoked all the little kids, killed all the children, just killed them all. That's what he did. Super dark. And then, uh, so Obi-Wan is, battles battles uh, Grievous, ends up taking him down, does a real smart move, tries to kick him because he's a giant robot and that would, that would work, and uh, <laughs> almost breaks his leg. And now he doesn't have his, his lightsaber, so he's like trying to do whatever he can. He like starts to peel open the chest plate that's protecting the, 
the goo that holds all of uh, Grievous's organs. Grievous is like, get the fuck out of there, and like backhands him almost off the cliff. And then he picks up a the staff, like the same electro staff that his guards use, that are uh, actually fairly fairly good against lightsabers. I think they're made of cortosis is the name of the material that actually can they make armor out of it as well that deflects uh, lightsaber energy. And he uses the force to pull a blaster over to him and shoots him right in the goo, right in the in the chest, and like catches him on fire and flames shoot out of his eyes. And then he again another retcon uh, line or a callback line because when he first gives Luke his lightsaber, he's like not as clumsy or as uncivilized as a blaster. Shoots him a whole bunch of times, flames shoot out of his eyes, and he goes, "Oh, so uncivilized!" and throws it to the side. And then steals Grievous's uh, space car. Then meets up with the clones, and the clones are like, oh, hey, you dropped your lightsaber. Here you go. Oh, thanks so much. Like, I really appreciate that. That's, that's going to be super helpful. Let me hop on my weird lizard horse, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and report to the council, let them know what's going on. And as soon as he, like, starts riding away on this thing, that's when Cody, Commander Cody, gets a message to execute Order 66. So, like, if he had just been a couple of minutes earlier... He would have had Obi-Wan defenseless with, like, 60 dudes around him. They could have just shot him like uh, ki mundi But, you know, so he finds out about Order 66 after he almost dies but manages to escape. Um, the clones wipe out all of the uh, remaining uh, separatists that are in the, that are on Utapau that were being held prisoner by Grievous. Because now there's clones on every planet in every system controlling everything because that's exactly what uh, Palpatine wanted to happen. And that's exactly how he had everything set up because he's just that brilliant of a tactician. And so, oh, Shelby, I like how you uh, lifted your pinky. Very fancy. I, like, don't even mean to do it. <laughs> it just happened. And uh, they end up, they're strategically placed everywhere. And, like, Palpatine's not even the one who did it. The Jedi are the ones who did it. The Jedi placed all of these clones and these battalions and these, you know, air support and space support exactly where they needed to be in order for Palpatine to take over everything with no problem whatsoever. Obi-Wan goes back, meets up with Yoda, and they find out about Order 66. They go back, they go to the temple to change the outgoing message because there was a message that the clones put in saying, hey, if you're a surviving Jedi, come to the temple. And it's like, that's so they could just kill whoever was left. You know, they, they fight their way in. Yoda starts decapitating more guards. It's like, just wrecking guys. It was awesome. Obi-Wan's like, oh, I got it. Let me check the security tape. Like, who could have done this? And Yoda's like, I wouldn't do that. You probably don't want to know because, you know, he's so much more attuned in the forest. He's like, yeah. Like, he may not have known specifically that it was Anakin that did it, but he was like, you probably don't want to look at it. He watches it. He's like, no, this has got to be a trick. It's like, no, look at all these dead kids. They weren't killed by blasters. This is a lightsaber. Like, look at this kid's face has been cauterized off. These kids are all dead with a lightsaber. And it's like, oh, it couldn't be Anakin. Anakin, it totally is. Fuck. So Yoda's like, all right, I'll go fight the Emperor. You go fight your best friend that you've raised like your own son. And he's like, but I can't. He's like, well, listen, I could go smoke Anakin easy. But, like, you'd get your ass kicked by the Emperor. So, like, let me handle him. You go You go take care of the minor league team. I'll take care of the big leagues because I'm Yoda. He's like, yeah, but you're, like, three feet tall. He's like, I'll still kick your ass, too. And he's like, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> so he goes and he, and he meets up with Padme. And finally, for the first time, like, she's, like, nine months pregnant. He's like, oh, you're pregnant, aren't you? And Anakin's the dad, isn't he? It's like, oh, yeah. It's like, hmm, yeah. 
I have great Jedi senses. And it's like, shit, this is probably why Yoda wants me to go fight Anakin. Because I didn't even notice that she was pregnant. So then we get to see two amazing confrontations. And this also ties into what I mentioned actually almost three hours ago at this point. Some of the best music of the trilogy. The Anakin versus Obi-Wan fight theme which spills over obviously into because we keep cutting back and forth between that and the yoda versus palpatine fight it's iconic it's amazing it rivals the the main theme it rivals duel of the fates it rivals any other battle theme you could possibly imagine in any any film because john williams is a fucking legend so before we get into the actual battles what which one of these two fights did you prefer uh, Shelby, I'll start with you. Oh, man. I mean, there's so many good things about both of these battles. Obviously, with Yoda and Palpatine, again, it's two masters going up against each other. But I feel like Obi-Wan against Anakin, I feel like that was probably my favorite out of the two. Just because there was emotion, rivalry, like, there was so much more behind their battle than it was between Yoda and Palpatine between like Yoda he was like okay I need to take this dude down but with Obi-Wan I know in some parts it looked like he was holding back because he didn't really want to hurt Anakin like he's like you're better than this like it pretty much like Anakin pretty much was a son to him so I feel like that battle had a lot more like depth I would say to it Misty um I agree with Shelby actually I felt it was almost very, very dark between Obi and Anakin. It, you could feel the, like, almost like the hate that Anakin felt to Obi. Chris? And oh, sorry. It, it almost, like, hurt to watch them fight. Yes. Chris? I have to agree with Shelby and Misty on that because, well, as cool as the Yoda-Palpatine um, battle was, it still pretty much ended in a draw, and there just wasn't the emotion in there that there was with Anakin and Obi-Wan in their battle, you know, near the lava flow or above it, because that was, that was heartbreaking. I mean, that was the most heartbreaking scene in a sad movie. And a lot of people don't, you know, don't mention, you know, that aspect of it, that, you know, it was just sad. It was, it was very sad to see the two of them have that final falling out. That was like the last chance of Obi-Wan to possibly convince him. And he couldn't, and he had no choice Anakin left him no choice but to slice his legs off, which caused him to take that lava bath. And honestly, Patrick, another thing that amazed me about that, maybe the three of you could verify this, but I heard a long time ago that that was what the one way that that scene, the end of their battle, that George Lucas gave homage to one of the expanded universe because it was mentioned in one of the expanded universe sources that that's how Darth Vader became deformed in the first place yeah there was um <clears throat> most of that stuff was considered canon so lucas kind of had to stick to uh what it what it was uh what had already been established uh as opposed to when disney took over and it's like yep none of that stuff matters anymore um for me this battle i prefer the anakin obi-wan one um i never really considered the emotional aspect that you guys are talking about for me uh i'm an old school guy i like practical effects the Yoda versus Palpatine thing was almost all CGI, whereas when these two guys were going at it, like they were going at it with prop lightsabers in a choreographed battle, and they would get so into it that they would break their sabers. 
Like, they went through so many of them that they had to keep, like, repairing the lightsabers. And some of these moves were phenomenal. There's a there's a specific move that I've noticed Anakin does, I don't know, three or four times uh, throughout the uh, two movies where he throws his saber up behind him and catches it, like, and, like, either blocks or goes on the attack. Like, it's a really cool move. Uh, we see exactly how evenly matched they are uh, when they both put their hands up and put try to push each other with the force and it ends up just exploding back on them and they go flying backwards um the emotion though the emotion at the end of it when you know anakin is screaming that he hates uh obi-wan and obi-wan's just like you know you were my brother you were the chosen one you were meant to destroy the sith not join them and you know he was just so heartbroken the fact that he had to and you even see that as he's walking up and he meets up with uh uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 and, and, you know, finds Padme, you know, still force choked on the ground, which, again, that shouldn't even bother her. She should be she should be able to shrug that off. No problem. But, yeah, it's it's a brutal, uh, a brutally emotional scene, whereas the other like I thought Yoda gave up way too quickly. It's like, oh, I fell and got hurt and I lost my laser stick. Well, guess I'd better leave the planet and never show my face here ever again because I couldn't possibly ever beat this guy. You guys were pretty evenly matched, you know, considering, you know, I, I, I thought Yoda gave up way too easily and, you know, just, I mean, I guess, you know, the plot has to plot. So, you know, you have to do things a certain way. But this to me, uh, you know, while this is my favorite film, this is uh, of this original uh, uh this new pre- prequel trilogy um it is not without flaw so uh i'm gonna because we're, we're going like this has been such a long conversation but it's been fun it hasn't felt like almost three hours so let's uh, i'm gonna try to wrap this up because i know you guys have lives um so let's go with uh highlight and low light uh shelby i'll start with you oh man i mean like you said this is probably my favorite out of the three so Definitely the highlight for me. Oh, man. I'm probably going to have to say that end fight scene with Obi-Wan and Anakin, because like you said, that was all practical effects. And I'm also a huge sucker for practical practical effects over CGI, because you can definitely see the quality difference in them. Like, CGI almost seems too perfect to me. And unless you're eating a pear. That That's true. Unless you <laughs> eat a pear, which you would think is so simple. But it's making like two creatures flip over each other throwing sabers at each other apparently that's too easy mm-hmm. <laughs> probably the low end for me i don't know i don't really know if i have a low end for this one i mean i'm sure i could think of some i think probably i mean it's, it's more so low because it was so dark i think the children scene i'm like not because it was a bad scene but just because it was like what the fuck just <laughs> happened like you did not <laughs> expect that like mentally traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Chris, how about you? Well, I would have to say that my high points, I really do want to say it's the climactic battle for the reasons we all mentioned between Obi-Wan and, uh, and, um, Anakin. Yep. Okay. And, um, but honestly, I could actually match that with one of the final scenes where Darth Vader first gets, has, uh, cybernetic armor placed on him and Palpatine says it seems like you killed her and he just goes knucking futz completely. I mean, even more so than before. That was messed up. 
Yeah, and 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 I guess low point, you know, had to be those exchanges, those quasi romantic exchanges between Padme and uh, Anakin. But in terms of uh, the disturbing scene where he kills the the um, the Jedi, the younglings, I'll use the word that he used. Um, was that honestly the first time he actually killed children? Didn't he kill the Sand People children in the previous? They didn't show it, but he mentioned it. He didn't mention it, but this is like. Like, these are his people. Like, these are the Jedi that he's supposed to be, like, the protector of and the chosen one for. Yet he still did what he felt he had to do, basically. Oh, he did what Palpatine told him to do. Like, this wasn't based on emotion. This was, hey, you need to take these guys out because they'll grow up and, like, they could be a challenge to you. Like, the Sand People were never going to be a challenge. He was just angry at Sand People. He was Tusken racist. (laughs) Misty, I got yours, right? Did I get yours? I was, no. No. Okay, I'm sorry. It's again. It's been three hours at this point, so <laughs> my brain is melting. So I know, I'm not. I'm totally not used to long podcasts like this. No, this is a record for me. I, yeah. I'll be completely honest. Um, mine pretty much the same. I mean, the the battle between Obi Wan and Anakin were, was the high point. Just seeing the emotional baggage that was there between the two of them and also seeing dark vader officially become dark vader and feeling actually feeling bad for him thinking that he killed padme and the low point i i don't was just the whole 66 that you know action 66 and killing the younglings for me i would say my high point uh because i want to be different uh, getting to see Palpatine in action against uh, five Jedi Knights and just having very little, di- like going through them like they're not even there. That for me was the high point where you really get to see like, holy shit. You know, it rivals that opening scene or that that uh, that Yoda Windu fight. I mean, the Yoda uh, Dooku fight where it's like, oh, you get to really see what like someone who's super trained in the force can do when it comes to lightsaber skills. And for me, the low point is... You know, and I, I kind of hinted at this in the when we discussed the last episode where, you know, you see Padme go through all this stuff like in rapid succession. In like an hour, she goes through all these things, you know, mauling, you know, falling out of a, a moving vehicle hundreds of feet that, you know, should kill anyone. Like if you fall over 30 feet, that should be fatal. And if you're falling at hundreds of miles an hour, that should definitely be fatal for her to be like, oh, well, she's perfectly fine, but she's dying of a broken heart. But don't worry, she named the two kids, so they're fine. It's like, uh, what? Like, that's terrible. Like, that's just the worst. Yeah, that was kind of a lame excuse. To so that's 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 my low point. So, uh, and again, we have the, uh, the recommendation side. Do you recommend this, and where do you place this on the grand scheme of things, uh, Chris? I would pretty much put it on par with episode two. I mean... I want to say I have a slight favor for episode three for basically that ending, seeing Darth Vader officially become the cyborg, get his cybernetic parts and that climactic battle. But I would say both of them had a lot going for them. So I would say on par. Okay. Misty? Um, I would say, you know, it's the third best of the, the, the best of the trilogy. Okay. And I can see where Luke got his wine from. Shelby? 
Um, it's definitely my favorite out of the three, and I definitely think out of all of the films, I would definitely place it pretty high up there as my favorites. So I'm gonna, uh, I'm going to ask a question because I already have an answer for this one, and I'll give you my answer first, so that way you guys can kind of think about this because this is a difficult one. Someone who has never seen the trilogies, never seen any of the films, and they come to you and they say, "How should I watch these?" So for me. I always I am a huge proponent of the Machete Order, and the Machete Order came out. Uh, if you're not familiar, it came out prior to Solo. It came out prior to uh, Rogue One, when there was only six films. I say only. There's there were six films, and you start off with Episode Four, New Hope. Episode Five, uh, Empire Strikes Back, which to me is the best of all of the films because it has one of the greatest cinematic reveals of all time and then once you know that and you have this uncertainty about han and you know that uh vader is luke's father and you know you have this huge reveal then you go back some people say you can skip episode one but i think you should watch episode one so you watch one two and three and then you watch episode six to kind of round it all out so that's the order i would say so four five one two three six that is the machete order so uh chris i'm gonna go with you on this uh, for first, what is your order? I would say do it in um, rather than in release order, chronological order. Go from one to three and then four to six. And then after that, obviously, um, seven to nine. But I've noticed that tends to be subjective. Mm-hmm. And people's preferences sometimes have to do with the era they live in. Because I, I know a lot of old school Star Wars fans say, uh, I totally prefer four to six, as, as we know. Yet I know one younger person, um, a niece of mine, who you know, was a teen when she, when she saw, um, you know, the first, you know, in the, in the current decade, she saw the first three when she was uh, younger, you know, episode one to three. And then after seeing four to six, she said she thought episodes one the three were better because she said she, you know, that because of she didn't feel that four to six, you know, it had an earlier style from the sensibilities and aesthetics of an earlier era. And that, in addition to the less advanced special effects, did not appeal to her. So I thought that was interesting how the era you were born in, you could have a preference for that style. Yeah, it's it's kind of like what Shelby mentioned earlier about seeing one, two, and three first. And you're like, how come the technology is so far advanced in these, but this is supposed to happen first, and the later ones have lower end technology? So I I, I get what you're saying, uh, Misty. What about you? What's what's the order you would recommend? Uh, one, two, and three. Rogue One, Solo, four, five, and six, seven, eight, and nine. Shelby. Um, so for me, since I did watch one, two, and three first, I feel like I almost kind of missed out on that big reveal that Darth Vader was Luke's father that so many other people were able to get. If you watch one through three first, you already know that. So I definitely think I would recommend watching four through six first and then one through three then rogue one and then the other ones solo you could just throw out <laughs> i was not a fan don't watch it okay. i'm like no just throw it out and don't watch that and that's and that's watch fine <laughs> yeah i mean when i whenever i have a, a a youngling of my own uh we're gonna do the machete order because of exactly what you said I want them to have the reveal that Vader is Luke's father and then go back and see 
where Vader came from and how he came to be who he was, which then I think makes his eventual turn back to the light side make more sense. And luckily for me, I have several different versions of this. So like my kid's not going to have to watch the re-released versions with Hayden Christensen as a force ghost. And, uh, yeah, Yeah, that's the, the re-releases that came out. So there was the re-releases that came out for like the 20th anniversary. And then there were the ones that came out right after the trilogy came out, like they were straight to DVD. And so I have the unaltered version. Like I had bought some DVDs. I bought the set and it's the unaltered version and then the special edition, so you get two discs per. I also have the VHS. I have two sets of VHS. I have the VHS. That's all I have. So I have the original and the remaster. And then I have a VHS rip onto a Blu-ray. It's all the original, like the VHS quality, but it's on a Blu-ray. So I need to get them on Blu-ray. So I want to thank you guys for joining me. This is officially the longest podcast I've ever done. I, I have a lot of editing to do, uh, and I still have to edit in a break and like a closing segment, which I'll probably <laughs> do tomorrow. Um, but I want to thank you guys for taking uh, a significant chunk of your day and joining me to talk about Star Wars. But it definitely didn't feel like three hours. Like It, it went well. very well. You guys are very knowledgeable and... You know, thank you for joining me. So, uh, before I let you guys go, um, I would like you to plug any uh, projects that you have upcoming, current. Uh, so, Misty, I'll start with you. Um, tell folks okay. where they can find you on social media. Any projects you have going on? Okay. Uh, well, I run the award-winning Scream Sisters podcast. We have a Facebook page, and uh, you could just look up Scream Sisters. I'm also working on a fangirl podcast more to come on that um it'll probably be called fangirl anonymous or professional fangirls anywhere uh, folks can find you on social media other than facebook or is facebook um, your primary instagram page too okay chris please extol the virtues of uh, wild hunt press for me okay the virtues as i like to see them also um wild hunt press currently has a facebook page where we announce some upcoming projects, get feedback from readers and prospective readers, and let them talk with me and the contributors. You can find that on Facebook, of course. Just look into the search engine. Um, We just recently released our two most uh, successful um, multi-author anthologies, Duel of the Monsters, Volume 1, which basically short stories featuring different types of monsters battling it out with each other where there'll be one definitive winner and who that, which one that is was up to the author and the reader will find out when they get to the end of the stories. And I'm um, the second one, attack of the Kaiju volume two. Okay. Uh, yep. Which is uh, uh, um, the continuation of, of the series that Matthew Denian self uh, um, published with his blessing, which has basically about giant monsters and uh, our next two coming out soon are Boogie Nights, Volume 1. And the Boogie Nights are basically short stories about monster hunters. And Reign of the Titans, Volume 1, which is a spin-off title of Attack of the Kaiju, which, once again, giant monsters, but this time with a post-apocalyptic um, feel to it and setting. And newsletters coming out soon, Instagram account coming out soon, and regular website coming out soon. Keep watching, and I will. I will say, uh, "Duel of the Monsters." Uh, you have a very good story in that. I got. A, I got a chance to read that. 
prior to publication, and uh, I was very impressed with that. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Thank you. Uh, Shelby, tell us uh, about all of your projects. Um, so, I mean, I can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, my name is Shelby Croto on Twitter and Instagram. I can be found at S-J-O-M-U-A. And, of course, I can be found at Amalgamania on Facebook. I do uh, other movie segments, and I do monthly cosplay segments where I do body paints and cosplays of different characters. Um, and currently, we are working on expanding, and we are working on a website. So definitely stay tuned for that. You do a couple of uh, other videos as well You with uh, with Ian. Uh, mm. Tell folks a little bit about that, because it kind of ties in nicely with uh, you know Chris's uh, Duel of the Monsters. Um, so we do do movie reviews, but we also do something that we call Who Dares Wins. We take characters from mangas, uh, animes, games, comic books, and we pretty much take two characters that we think would be pretty equal in a match, and we pretty much say where they're going to fight, what they're going to be using weapon-wise, and we pretty much put it out to the group to think, who do they think would win in that battle? Oh, that's cool. I was on one of those episodes once where we did uh, the Clintar, which is a Venom species, versus the Thing from 1982's The Thing, and that was a lot of fun, like, debating and trying to figure that one out. So Yeah, we come out with those uh, every Friday. And that's a lot of fun because folks get to vote on it. But Amalgamania has a ton to offer. So, yeah, definitely check all of these folks out. There's just a ton of content. If you're if you're like me and you're like, oh, man, you know, the next episode of The Mandalorian doesn't come out for, like, several days and you're looking for some sort of nerd culture stuff to fill that void, this is where you can find it. So I want to thank you guys for joining me once again and uh, thank you for making this a really good episode and... If this is uh, any indication of what next week is going to be like, uh, I think the original trilogy show is going to be beyond insane. I think uh, yeah. we might we might hit four hours on that one, especially because uh, next week I'll be joined by uh, another Amalgamaniac, Jordan. I will be joined by, uh, from SourcePoint Press, Josh Werner. And from the Force Insensitive podcast, Mr. Rocky Bowick. So... I am very excited because uh, when it comes to uh, uh, Star Wars knowledge, Rocky has forgotten more than pretty much anyone else will ever know. Uh, I think only Dave Filoni and maybe George Lucas know more than uh, than Rocky does. So this wow. is going to be an awesome episode. So uh, thank you guys, and uh, may the Force be with you. What's up, Ufonauts? It's your UFO guy, Rob Christofferson. Have you ever been curious about the UFO phenomenon? but unsure of where to start? Have you ever wondered about just what crashed at Roswell? Have you ever wanted common sense advice about licking UFOs? The answers don't. Then check out the Our Strange Skies podcast, where we dive into America's rich UFO history and uncover what these sightings say about ourselves. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcast apps, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies. In gray we trust. Do you have completely rational reactions to Halloween being over? Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! Hearing the same repetitive Christmas songs at every single store you go to? Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? Do you feel like the holidays just 
came out of nowhere. Surprise, motherfucker! Then you need the Wicked Weekend Horror Festival, December 6th, 7th, and 8th at the Stafford Palace Theater in Stafford Springs, Connecticut, where you'll be able to meet horror icons like Kane Hodder, Felissa Rose, Michael Barriman, Linnea Quigley, and so many more. Enjoy killer entertainment while shopping the market for horrific holiday gifts. Slash the competition in our Cosplay for a Cause contest, benefiting our official charity, Scares the Care. There are also kid-friendly activities, food trucks, giveaways, and so much more. So remember... is for you to join the Dorkening Podcast Network at Wicked Weekend. You're going to need a bigger boat. Thank you all for sticking with me throughout this entire podcast and uh, for listening to the insights of my esteemed guests, Shelby, Chris, and Misty, because they brought a lot to the table uh, just as I knew they would, which is why I asked them to be on this particular uh, this particular episode, because you know everybody was uh, has their area of expertise and the stuff that they like about Star Wars, and these folks really wanted to talk about the the prequels. So I said, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. So I'm gonna kind of zip through the rest of this. I did want to touch on something that I realized that we didn't talk about uh, when I was talking about the Will of the Force. See, the will of the force is what determines what happens in a battle. It has nothing to do with your skill as a Jedi or a Sith. It's really what the uh, the force has uh, in mind, so to speak. And that's why Obi-Wan was able to defeat Anakin, because, you know, yes, he is, you know, like we said, he's much more disciplined and, you know, he doesn't fly off the handle the way Anakin does, and he handles himself much, much better. But the real reason is that was the will of the Force, because Luke had to be born and Vader had to be out of the way. Luke had to grow and flourish and thrive, and Obi-Wan had to watch over him and kind of guide him from a distance. And so that's why uh, Obi-Wan ended up winning that battle. So uh, I think what I'm going to do, I'm just going to do a quick uh, shark fact, and uh, I already gave you a preview of what's happening next week with the original trilogy. And I do want to say, make sure you tune into this week's episode of Throwdown Thursday because we are interviewing Dominic Pace from The Mandalorian. So we're going to get some first-hand Star Wars insight, and I'm very, very excited about that, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. But first, we will uh, do our normal routine and give you a shark fact. And this, this week's shark fact is that bull sharks can regulate their salt retention which allows them to survive in both fresh and salt water. And bull sharks are known to attack folks uh, taking part in um, funerary and uh, 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 funerary rituals in the Ganges River in India. Uh, bull sharks return there and feed because folks will float their dead down the Ganges River as part of their funerary in uh, funerary rites uh, in Hinduism and you know, the sharks take advantage of that and uh, unfortunately attack a lot of the mourners. So uh, with that being said, I'm going to leave you with uh, one of my favorite pieces of music this week. It's going to be Duel of the Fates by John Williams that we talked about uh, quite a bit on the show this week. And uh, just remember, I am the podcaster, but as the listener, you are my chum. Have a great week and may the force be with you. (laughs) 